Today I have a special guest and I have all of you to thank for it. Ian Abernathy is here and we had an amazing conversation. I had never heard of Ian, but you guys reached out to me and you said, hey, have you heard of Ian Abernathy and the work that he's been doing with karate? Little did I know, Ian's people were doing the same on the other side of the Atlantic, saying, hey, have you heard of Randy and the work that he's been doing with Mantis Boxing and Chinese Boxing Styles? And it took a while for us to finally connect, but a few months ago I reached out to Ian and we had a, a few brief emails saying hello and hey, do you want to do a podcast together? Ian and I have never spoken outside of those emails. So this is a, a first for us and it turned out to be great. We didn't know we had so much in common. Ian and I have very different backgrounds, different styles of martial arts with, from different cultures. We live in different countries. We had different types of teaching influences and inspirations, yet we came to some of the same conclusions and produce some of the same type of work. So strap in, you're gonna enjoy this. It's a long one, but I promise you, there's never a dull moment. So let's get hooked. Okay. So I think for, for, for my guys, for my audience, uh, I think we'd be just a little bit interested in your background. So I believe you started, Taekwondo was the original art, I believe. Yeah. Yep. That's correct. Um, I did that briefly for a little bit while I was in the army and uh, I, I liked it. I wanted to do martial arts my whole life, so I didn't care what style it was. I didn't have anything in mind. It was That was the closest, easiest thing. And a, a friend of mine that I was in the military with was at that, uh, found that school and that instructor. So we went there. Yeah, I think it's a case for a lot of people, you know, that we, we, we don't start with a grand plan. We just start where we start. And then later on, we make a more informed decision, you see. So then you moved on to, it's the Chinese systems and the, the Manti stuff is obviously what you're, you're well known for. So how, how, did, how did you eventually find that and get into that? I, uh, well, and I've told this story before, but when I was doing Taekwondo in the army, uh, a good friend of mine, had grown up doing Kung Fu, uh, his dad taught him and we would spar and he would beat the crap out of me and he'd be <laughs> doing all this stuff. I was like, how'd you get over there? You're on my side, you're behind me. And he was circling a lot. And the Taekwondo was very much down the pipe. Like you go forward, you go back, you go forward, you go back. So I had it in my mind. It's like, well, that must be a better style. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> The hornet's nest I was getting into there. Uh -huh. um, so when, uh, you know, if you, this was probably f five years later before I finally got back into, maybe actually even longer, seven years later before I got back into martial arts and I had it in my head, I got to do Kung Fu. That's the style. That's yeah. the best. Um, so I sought that out, but it was very hard to find in the state that I lived in. And the only instructor I could find that taught it was uh, Mantis Boxing, Prey Mantis Boxing. Mm. And I had never heard of it. It wasn't something that was even on my radar ever. I, I didn't watch all the Kung Fu movies mm. growing up and stuff. So, yeah. I, I mean, I must, must admit, I mean, here in the, the UK, I don't, I'm aware of it. I'm, I'm aware that there's a Mantis style. 
I don't think I've ever come across a practitioner of it. I'm sure they're out there, but they must they be are. very small in number. Yeah. I, I've got a lot of people that have contacted me from your neck of the woods so, um, yeah. that, uh, that are over there, but it's a dying art. It really, that was one of my goals with my YouTube channel was to preserve, if nothing else to preserve Mantis boxing for later generations, if it did die mm. or to revitalize it if possible and get some interest in it again, but uh, more practical interest because that's yeah. part of the problem is, is like you uh, in your experience with reverse engineering these styles, people have lost interest in stuff, especially since the onset of the UFC and MMA is like, well, what, what does it do? How yeah. does it work? <clears throat> Yeah, I think that that's and that's one parallel we've definitely got. I think with the um, like you, I mean, I started in karate because I knew I want I wanted to do martial arts. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was aware of a local karate club and a judo club. I originally wanted to do both, but my parents said, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and right. you know, so pick a, pick one. So my brother did judo actually. My brother did judo, and then I uh, I took up uh, karate, and I got lucky. I just happened to go to what was a very good school, but I could just have easily have gone to one that that wasn't as good, you know. Um, yeah. So that was uh, wado was a particular branch, you know. Although I don't really use that term now. I think my own karate. I still call it karate, but I don't think the wado label really applies because of other influences. Mm -hmm. But but it was the same with that. You know, I, I start training. I've been doing that since I was 11 years old. You know, I turned yeah, 50 next that. year. So yeah, long time. Right. Um, but, 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 but during that time, it's, it's definitely changed and evolved. And I think as well, we have the same thing over on this side of the Atlantic in the 1990s. The UFC was a great catalyst for getting people to look at things and, and reassess it. And right. we also had two of my um, instructors, uh, Jeff Thompson and Peter Considine, were writing a lot about self-protection and the realities of self-defense, both former doormen. Uh, Peter was a, a bodyguard, security consultant. And that got people to reflect and, and reassess as well. Yeah. So I started, yeah. I'd been looking at the, the functionality of what we did for, for, for a while, but that, that perfect storm was... I mean, that wave crashed and I was, uh, it smashed some people and I was like a surfer, I rid it. <laughs> right, so then, right, yeah, right. Just, yeah, because just a lot of what I was doing, just, ocean. yeah, exactly. A lot of what I was doing kind of fit with that. So in the, I managed to find uh, an audience for what I was, I was, I was seeing. So that, that helped. Did you, now as part of your influence of, of going that route, because uh, judo is more more practical has always been more practical than some of the other arts. It maintained those roots. And mm. did you spar with your brother and notice that, uh, did you, did that help you in ways? No, no, we, we were categorically banned from, uh, <laughs> any such activities. <laughs> um, but no, my, my brother, my brother was actually training in judo before I took up karate, you see. So, <laughs> Uh, but I'd always liked the um, the look of judo. And I had this vague yeah. appreciation that judo was more the grappling and karate was more the striking, and I wanted to do a bit of both. Right. As it is, I mean, I went back to judo later on and, and found there was a lot more grappling within the karate than I first um, yeah. first um, um, anticipated. But no, no, I, I think it, it was... Uh, just I do have one of those mindsets that just likes to question everything. Why? Yep. Why? Why? Yeah. You know. So I, I think naturally when I'm looking at the martial arts, is, is, is why are we doing this? What what function yep. does that serve? You know. And that that thought process helped me well. And where I've been really lucky, I've had instructors who've encouraged that. 
Whereas you do get some is, you know, don't think, just do what I tell you, you know, and I, I never yeah. had that. I, I had instructors who were, yeah, go and train with that guy. Yeah, go and find that out. And it was just, that was, you know, really helpful. And I'm very grateful for that, you see, so. So they, when you started, they didn't do what you do now. Uh, you had to go out and learn that stuff and figure it out on your own. It, it, well, it, it kind of a fusion, really. I say some of it I was taught. Um, some of it's my own. You know what I mean? So it, it's I'm a kind of fusion of everything I've ever been taught by mm -hmm. my various instructors. And we then, all are, right? Yeah, and then and then I kind of put my own spin on it and bring it together in a way that works for me, which is why I feel I mean I use I, I I'm definitely I always say I'm a martial artist first, a karate mm -hmm. second, and I've no idea what style I am. You know, I mean I, I used to know, I have no idea now because you know my main inst instructor. Um, uh, it was like Doug James eighth down in Wado, uh, but even he said, you know, I don't teach pure Wado, I teach my interpretation of it. Right. And then I trained with Jeff Thompson and Peter Constein, who, from a karate perspective, are Shotokan and Shukakai. And so, you know, then the judo influence comes back in as well. I, you know, trained in there with some great judo people, and and there's little bits of that that find their way back in. So ultimately, I, I label it as karate because that's what it is to me. Um, but what I find interesting as well is, you know, um, uh, when I look at the history of karate, like Funakoshi, for example, is regarded as the father of modern karate, is very anti the idea of styles. You know, he, he regarded yeah. it as being divisive and would be damaging to karate, you know, so. Um, Absolutely. But it's a strange thing, you know. So this is what, I'm, again, so, you know, you were saying about um, preserving, um, you know, like, like, I mean, I want karate to thrive into the future, and you obviously want right. what you do to thrive into the future. But 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 I'm I'm not trying to preserve what I do in amber. I've always thought the tradition has been one of constant evolution, and yes. looking at you and what you do, I, I, I kind of see that there as well. So it, definitely, is, definitely. yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing you don't teach it as exactly as you were taught. You know. No, I don't. Um, and I have a bit of a sordid history on my end with all that stuff. I wasn't as encouraged as much as you were, but that's. Uh, uh, that's the dark, the dark closet we won't get into, <laughs> but, um, yeah, especially so Mantis boxing fractured sometime in the early 1900s. And a lot of that separation that Funakoshi talks about did exactly that. It created pockets of these, these people doing this and that. And when you rip it all apart, they're not that different and, is questions on whether the style even existed prior to the late 1800s and early 1900s as, um, as a thing. Mm -hmm. And it was my experience. I got into Mantis and there weren't any applications taught. Um, I mean, it was even so blatant as, and my instructor lied to me about that. He was very honest up front said, I don't, he was a boxer and a kickboxer, and he taught Kempo. He had learned uh, Mantis forms, and he said, I can teach you the forms, but I can't teach you the applications. So even when he would belt test me, it was uh, part of my test was try to come up with four strikes, four kicks, four locks, and four throws from this form or that form, mm. um, which... I, I didn't have any experience to be able to, I didn't have any qualification to do that, but it, it forged this idea in my mind that to try to figure things out, to try to what, why are we doing that move and what does that move do? Um, but I, 
I very much came to terms with. So when I say preserve, I guess my preservation would be in the overall mm-hmm. label or brand of Mantis Boxing. But uh, in the past few years, I've really come to terms with I do my own thing. And even when people ask me, what style of Mantis is that? What style of Mantis? It's like, it's mine. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to subscribe to any style because one, I don't really think they were any styles when you look at the history of it. And, um, they're really labels that people kind of revisionist history over things or somebody branded themselves differently. Yeah. And see, that's, um, the karate history is exactly the same. You know, it's exactly the same, you know, for, so, especially when it went to Japan, where there's uh, within that culture at that time, lineage is more important. So, so they, they ask the karateka, you know, what's, what style is this? What's, and, and they don't know. So they name it after the villages they come from. So, you know, so, like it's, it's uh, one of Choji Maggi's students is in Japan. What style do you do? Uh, Nahate, because he's from Naha. So the hand of Naha, he then goes back to Miyagi and says, that wasn't a great answer. Says, no, we'll, okay, we'll call ourselves Gojiru. But, and then, of course, th- then you get this revisionist history that these styles, Nahate, Shurite, and Tamarite, existed. They, they didn't. You know, the, the, yeah. It's revisionist history. Those labels are applied uh, uh, retroactively, you see. Yeah. So, yeah. so it seems like a you know, very similar thing happening in, in, for your art as well. You know? It is. Even uh, like Eight Step Mantis is one of the newest, uh, not the newest, but one of the newer ones. <clears throat> and uh, it came... Uh, definitely came in the latter part of the 1900s, and the the guy that that taught it said, "Don't call it just." He called it praying mantis boxing. Yeah. He didn't call it anything else, and that his students ended up labeling it eight step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's it's it's, it's strange on this idea of styles, you know. Um, to, to illustrate this point, one of my instructors, uh, Peter, was doing a seminar. And he's got um, people who train with him in various systems. So he told me, turn up with your gi on. There was Danny, who's a, a Thai boxer of some renown. Peter, another Peter, who's a, a kickboxer. And then he got us all to demonstrate various pad drills and stuff. And at the end of it, he went to everyone, what was different? And they went, the clothes they had on. So he said, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's pretty much it. You know, when they actually start, start performing things. And it led to like a brilliant line. It was uh, Bob Sykes, who's the editor of a martial arts magazine over here. Um, uh, it was privy to overhear a conversation he was having. And they were talking about this idea that sometimes it is that, you know, you put this uniform on and you're doing that system. Yeah. And he said, he said, yeah, he says, so, and he pauses for thought and he's quite a witty guy. And he said, he goes, yeah, he says, he said, I don't know about cross training then, but I've certainly done my fair share of cross dressing. <laughs> Which I thought was just a brilliant line, right? You know, you know, and I had that. I remember I was once I was in the gym, you know, the weightlifting gym, and I have a pair of Thai boxing shorts that I find really comfortable to train in. Right. So I often train in. So I'm doing. I'm working out on the bag in the Thai boxing shorts, and I didn't know you'd done Thai boxing as well, Ian. I've never done Thai boxing, but I own a pair of Thai boxing shorts. You know, <laughs> I once did a, a charity seminar um, to raise money, and I looked around at all the other instructors, and I thought I want to teach something different. So I look, and there's the judo guy. So, okay, forget throws and, you know, the Thai guy. Okay, he's going to be teaching pad work. And I kind of worked my way around. I don't think anyone's going to do trapping. 
So I'll just do some basic trapping. So I did trapping uh, from Nahanshi Kata, one of the forms. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was uh, all the instructors had blue T-shirts on with instructor written on it. And at the end, this guy comes up and said, uh, he goes, I really enjoyed that. He said, it's the first time I've done Wing Chun. How long have you been doing Wing Chun? That I've never <laughs> done Wing Chun, and, and you haven't either. <laughs> you know, so the, 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 the yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, there's um, Gavin Mulholland, who's a, um, a British Gojuru instructor. He says, sometimes our styles are not what we do. They're how we train what we do. You know, and I thought yeah. that that's a fairly nice distinction because um, my experience has been at a certain point, we may train in different ways or record those skills in different ways or have differing drills. But at a certain point, it all starts to mash together because you've got two human beings interacting in a violent way. There's only so many ways that can happen. I I fully agree with you. And to, to highlight, uh, there's a couple of experiences I had and my own flaws with that is getting stuck in labels and boxes. As I said, my first Mantis teacher was uh, also a boxer, kickboxer, and he tried to teach me uh, boxing. He tried to teach me kickboxing. And I tried for a little bit, and I was like, no, I, I want to do kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I sent him a letter years later, and I, I said, uh, I said, my apologies. I said, uh, had I known what I know now, I should have done that because it would have made my other stuff better. I didn't know it was all the same stuff that, uh, but we just get stuck in, I guess that taught me a lesson too, is running a school that labels are important, not necessarily to me or you, but they're important to the beginner that walks in the oh, door. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They want to have an idea of what it is they're, they're learning. And right. I think for some people too, I mean, you know, I, I kind of get this is on the back of our, um, like handbook, if you like the club handbook that explains what we do. I have a, um, a very basic family tree, which mm -hmm. starts with me and then goes back as far as we know, you know, because yep. um, for some people, it, it, it's just kind of nice to feel part of that tradition. I like I like that. I like feeling uh, part of those um, a link in that chain. Yeah. So I, I kind of get that, you know, so I, I'm happy for some of the labels to ebb and flow, but um, I know where I'm coming from. I, I always like it. I think it, I use a tree as an analogy. So if a tree yeah. is healthy, it's got strong roots, but the whole purpose of those roots is to encourage new growth. You know, the only tree that remains exactly the same is a dead tree, you know, so we don't want to yeah. draw from those roots and I'm proud of those roots, which is what makes me a traditionalist. But at the other end, I still want to be developing and growing and evolving and trying to make it better. So not, you, and then, John, that's, well, not because I'm better than those who went before. It's just because no, I've no, no, no. Got, we should I'm, be evolving. Yeah. We should be. It's not about uh, ego. It's not about uh, being better than the people in our past. It's really what can we do? Because I, I look at it like, well, somebody could have been in a bubble. So mm. if you were in a bubble, let's say you did Japanese jujitsu, and which was a samurai art, they didn't strike because they were wearing armor. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly uh, the throws and then the ground, the newaza, uh, in case you lost your sword and you had to grapple. <clears throat> but so they're not strikers by by historical record. They're they're striking and their kicking is probably very low tech. So does that mean that? as a jujitsu practitioner that you should never look at striking. You should never look at kicking when the field has changed or the other, like people are introduced to other arts and other styles where you see, Oh, that could really benefit. I mean, yeah. that was, 
MMA isn't new. Uh, a lot of these, even I'm sure you would agree with what you do that karate was was MMA back when it was created. Yeah, I, I think he's well. You've got two definitions of that label, haven't you? Really. So you've got the modern sport of MMA, right? Which which you which it wasn't. You know what I mean? You, you, I think that's very highly evolved. So it would be wrong mm-hmm. to say, oh yeah, they were doing that in Okinawa. 100 years ago because they weren't right right but 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 in in terms of um martial arts being mixed Mm -hmm. that's happened all the time i always find that a really interesting thing i can't quite get my head around the psychology of this is because if you look at the the history every every generation took what they've been taught melded it with other things did their best to improve it and passed the baton on right Uh, but there is but there's a school of thought that goes but now it's perfect and can never be altered I know. You know and, it's I, and I crazy. can't quite get my head around that. I mean, a friend of mine says this. He goes, No other field of human endeavor believes it reached perfection in the 1930s. None. You know, no. you, you know I, if I want, um, I, I want, I want a modern car. I don't want a car from the 1940s or 50s. I acknowledge that they've, they've got better and safer and more efficient. So, so why? And it's not even traditional as well. That's the other thing because the, the old masters changed it too. I yeah. think sometimes, again, I think so people do worry about the ego thing, but I always liken it to science. So like modern science, modern physicists don't look back at Newton and go, well, you were an idiot because you didn't know right. this. They acknowledge, yeah, but we, we only know what we know because you took right. us to that point. And that's kind of how I yeah. like to view the old masters, you know. Even if they correct something where somebody previous was wrong and went down the wrong path, they don't. They don't just throw them out and slam them because, and they recognize that you helped build the foundation for where we are today. Yeah, I know, hundred percent. Yeah, I have a, a experience. We went to, um, and I'll leave the names out um, out of respect, but we went to this annual gathering of uh, Mantis, this dinner, um, and different. Uh, all these different teachers are there, and uh, this one very. A uh, very senior practitioner. Uh, I don't really know if he's a teacher per se. I'm not sure. I can't speak to how many people he's taught, but uh, he studied with this common teacher they all had in common, the seniors. And uh, he stood up on stage, and alcohol was not being served at this event, railed, railed at the audience, at all, everybody sitting there, screaming and yelling um, that you have to do, your mantis has to be exactly like his teachers. You mm-hmm. cannot change anything. It has to be, and it's, you're, you're evil, you're disgusting if you change anything. And it was, I was in shock. I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable that somebody would, would so I, I don't understand it either. I, I have a feeling that it has to do with fear uh, yeah. or the human nece- the human necessity to have control or be in a fixed environment without things changing on them mm-hmm. um, that that makes people comfortable so they like like certain individuals gravitate towards that. This is the way it is and it can never be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't explain it either. That's my best guess. <laughs> uh, see, for me, part of the attraction of uh, is it's so open and endless. I, mm. I like martial arts. I don't want it to end. So I, I don't yeah. want it to be like like a series of like books or a TV show where you go, well, you've learned this, that's it, you're done. 
Right. I mean, and, 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 and again, some people might be attracted to that, like level complete. You know what I mean? I've done it now. But but yeah. um, I, I always I enjoy it. I don't want it to end. I don't want to wake up one day and think I know it all. I, I love the fact that yeah. I, I'm aware of how little I do know. You know, um, I, I, I kind of like that. So you must have got quite a bit of um, uh, flack when when you start uh, bringing because you think yeah. you know b- b- Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is. Um, I think sometimes not for me, but I think sometimes for traditional martial artists, that's the antithesis. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it, it's 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 um it's everything that's wrong because it works and we don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how dare they? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Don't, how, tell how that, dare don't they? say that too loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should be thousands of years old, and you know. Right. Right. Um, and of course, because of, you know, in the UFC, that was arguably the thing that in the early days just upended everything the most. You it, know? it upset everybody. Right. Yeah. It made everybody look at their own stuff and say, ooh, um, <laughs> uh, maybe we do need to fix this. But, uh, you know, people have two reactions to that. They either uh, embrace the suck and they <laughs> fix and they change and evolve or they hide their head in the sand and they say no that's that stuff that doesn't work i would just eye gouge you i would just <laughs> grab your groin like sure you would okay sure yeah, you would yeah. i um yeah no it is it's, it's a, you you must have got a quite i would imagine from that traditional circles especially the fact that if, if i'm yeah. right am i right in thinking that when you teach Mantis now, the, the Brazilian, you teach them separately and together. Is, is that correct? So you're, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu yeah. is bled into the, the Mantis stuff as well. So, yeah, it's interesting that uh, if I'm being completely uh, transparent with that, because it's a newer art for me, I've only been doing, I started BJJ when I was 30, 39. And so... Uh, less than eight years or about eight years. And it was because it's newer. I feel. Let me say this. BJJ is completely different. Um, at least in my experience with the instructor that I had, I was very fortunate where uh, he fostered creativity. Yeah. He fostered individuality. Uh, I mean, in comparison, if you stand us side by side, I weigh 140, he weighs 260. Um, he's, you know, I, I'm, I look like a midget next to him. So it's not, it's not something where he and I are going to necessarily have everything in common with the way we apply the art. And uh, so in saying that, although I've been given the freedom to develop my own methods and my what works for me uh as most people and any of his students Mm. um you know things have to follow a certain guidelines right but uh because i've been given that flexibility i've been able to grow and evolve however i'm still less comfortable with the idea of my real goal down the road would be I would just have one one system that's mine that blends the two together. But there's a, there's a sport jujitsu now, and very much that's what I was doing was the sport aspect. So the, there wasn't striking, there wasn't uh, kicking, there wasn't even a lot of takedowns. It was most of the class because people worried about injuries with throwing. If, if half the class, Stefan talks about this, 
mm. um, who's a victim of it. If somebody's laying on the ground next to you and somebody else is throwing and they're not paying attention, you land on them and, and people get really messed up mm. um, and throws hurt. I yeah, mean, yeah. so people like being on the ground. You can in jujitsu, you can feel like a badass without ever getting punched in the head. Mm. Um, so I, I guess the transparency that I was talking about is when I teach jujitsu still, I teach it the way that I was taught it. Mm. I haven't changed the teaching method yet, even though the art is, is, is my own. Um, but with, so when I, when we grapple in G, my BJJ classes, when we spar, there's no striking, there's no kicking. There is admittedly so much to work on without those components. So, um, to elevate those skills, I, it's, it's still a valid training tool, but in my mantis class, when people are sparring, when my students start sparring, if you end up on the ground, you're not allowed to stand up. Yeah. You have to work it out. Mm. So in my mantis class, the two have melded together. And if I have people that come in and they only want to do mantis, I, I don't say a word. Like, <laughs> sure, absolutely. You're welcome to just do the mantis class. And then uh, they don't spar right away. There's, I don't have students getting into sparring until they've been there a little while. Kind of teach them to fight before they start fighting. But when they start sparring, invariably, they end up on the ground. And they pretty much, most of the time, within a class or two, come sign up for the jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a problem I need help solving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it works itself out. I don't need to get involved. <laughs> no, no. Well, that was what one of my instructors used to say. He said, you can be a tenth down on your feet and a white belt on your back. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and that phrase always kind of resonated with me. You see. So a lot of the guys, we're quite lucky that we've got some of the black belts we have at the club are also judo black belts. You know, they, they, they yeah. trained in judo first and then came came to us. And um I think half of our current instructors have all trained in judo as well, you know. So, so there's elements of like yourself when I when, when I was doing it, it was a strong competitive judo club, right. and I didn't want to be that guy, you know, the guy who turns up and goes, "Well, I could kick you here, or I could throw a punch yes. here," yeah. you know. I, I thought I, I want to go here to learn judo and, right. and immerse myself in judo, and then yeah. later on I'll decide which bits of this are a good fit for the karate. So again, it seems like I've done a, a similar thing to yourself. So some of it bolts together really nicely some of it doesn't you know, the, what do the you classic find example doesn't work as well with with judo and karate what do you find doesn't work as well it, it's, it's the object i mean the one thing about those two arts is they they're very similar culturally so that they wear a white gi they have the dan grid q grid system they use japanese terminology uh, they've got a lot in common but but there's um it's the objective stuff so for, um, so, for example, in judo, you win by pinning a guy on his back. So they have lots of techniques for flipping a guy on his belly onto his back, none of which is relevant outside of sport judo. Correct. You know, yes. yeah, you know I, I would rather the guy was face down with his weapons facing away from me than on his back with his weapons facing yep. up at me. So all of or, those skills. Or with shuai jiao, the Chinese throwing art, it's more about throwing, well, was before the they started adopting more like a judo competition, but it's about dropping them on their head. Yeah, not yeah. dropping them on their back. No, the, 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 yeah. So the, the, there's that objective, and then of course the way in which they engage. You know, it tends to be uh, quite flat-footed. Um, whereas if you're sparring from a crap speak, you'll be a little bit more mobile at the distance. 
you know, so there's just some things as soon as you allow a strike. I, the judo, that was the one thing is when with the, when I was, the, the judo randori, when the, the, the down with the arms, it was like everything in me wants to throw that jab. You know, you know what I mean? So um, so there's that element of it too. But, but it, you know, it works both ways. You know, there's certain things you could do in the karate that if you tried it against a good judo player, it's it's, it's in that context, yeah. it's not going to work either. So I, I always think sometimes people get into this habit of it, it's good or it's bad. And what I try and encourage in my own thinking and everyone else, no, it, it's, it's appropriate or inappropriate. So something might be appropriate in one context yeah. and then not appropriate in another. It doesn't mean it's bad. You know what I mean? It just means it's it's not the tool you should be using for this specific task. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking when you first said that. It, it's right place, right time. It's like yeah, yeah. that. Okay, if if sure, if you can get, like if you're a judo player and you can get in on somebody and get your hands on them, then great. Those things, you know, you're you're a master at that range, but you've got to get there. And vice versa, if the if you're a striker and the judo guy gets his hands on you and you don't have any grappling skill, it's like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's it. Chain is strong as its weakest link style of thing, you know, so. Um, but again, I, I found that was one of the things is, you know, um, like misconceptions you expect, you know. So I, I my experience is judo guys, they, they, they're constantly stopping and redirecting grips. And, and, a, and a guy reaching out to grab you is not a million miles different from a guy throwing a punch at you. So right. you know, I mean, they're, they're with with minimal training, they become pretty successful blockers quite quickly. Yeah, because because I've got the reaction skills, you know. Um, so it's it's not like they're sitting ducks for anything, you know. It's just right. Um, yeah. So uh, there, there was a there, so those kind of things. Uh, not, and of course, you know, my my, my judo instructor used to hate this as well because whenever he'd introduce me to somebody, this is he, and I'd go, yeah, me, and I do karate. I'm here to learn and a little bit of. And he would say, he said, I know, I know, I know all of one when you say I'm Ian, I do judo. <laughs> so, you know, there was always that context. But in my mind, that's always what it was. You know, it was always, I want to immerse myself in this for the fun and enjoyment right. of it. And then, then I'll take back the bits. That Did I feel you plan on, uh, uh, do you have a belt? Are you ranked in judo? No, well, I, I did the first few grades, but I was lucky enough just to be able to, I went, well, this is okay. the, the, the other story as well. So um, one of my students, was uh, a judo instructor. One of my karate instructors said, you need to do some judo now. You know what I mean? Because he'd done some yep. judo too. Right? Okay, I'll do some judo. So uh, I'd contacted my friend and he said, no, you don't want to train with me. You want to train with my instructor. So I went down to see him and he, and the, the, it's a Kendall Judo Club. The instructor's uh, Mike Liptrot. He's a really well-known guy in, in the UK. And on the Tuesday morning, they had uh, four or five international level athletes that were training there, you see. And he said, he says, you can come and train with us on the Tuesday morning as well. The class, what, what, really? And he said, no, of course, we'd love to have you, you see. So I was dead. And then, of course, you realize all it was, they, they didn't have an uki for the heavyweight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so that short little dumpy guy will be ideal to throw around. <laughs> um, but for me, it was great because then I then got the opportunity to join in these classes with these really high-level guys. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and they were really good with me, you know, so, um, I, I, I was able to give them the feeds that they wanted. I could mimic it. So they go, I'm going to go here. I want you to step there. I'm going to do this and I want you to move. Can you fake that? Yeah, I can do that. So, and then for me, so, I got lots of instruction from them, you know, so. If you, so I can't put it in the context of belts. Uh, maybe I could put it in the context of, did you, did you stay with judo 
longer than you you originally anticipated that you would. Yeah, I think so. And I enjoyed it a lot more for its own sake than than than, yeah. than I anticipated. I mean, the only reason I um it just I um it was time with the traveling and the teaching, family things. Yeah. The club is uh, sixty miles away. So it's a yeah. long round trip each time as well. So so that that was the only reason that I stopped. But but given uh, unlimited time and resources, I, I'd be I'd be I'd, I'd still be there. I, I, I just really um, the camaraderie of the club was great. The the yeah. way that they taught was great. I, I I picked up lots of things from from my time with them. So did you already have before you started doing judo? Uh, um... Did you already have all the grappling and throws worked out in karate, or did that help you to figure out what some of the moves in the kata were that you previously didn't didn't recognize? Uh, for, for, for me, one of my instructors, when he started training in judo, that was his experience. He started to recognize movements in the katas that he'd previously not understood that went, oh, that looks exactly like this throw. Yeah. For, for me, it was the other way around. So I, I'd, been, I'd been taught... Uh, throwing as part of uh, the karate, I wow. quite a lot. And when, okay. I, when, I, when I went there, the, uh, the, the uh, he said to me, he says, oh, he says, "You'll have done some throwing in the karate, right?" Says, yes. He says, "Can I see it?" And I went, "Yeah, you know, what do you want to see?" So I did the throws, and he went, "Yeah, it's fine. It looks like 1950s judo." You know what I mean? So it was like, you know, it was like, you know, yeah, it's outdated stuff now. You know, in compared to the, yeah. the way they've evolved the, the techniques. Um, so yeah, so they yeah, that was that was the, the, the big difference, the neat and modernized. I'm just aware, by the way, in this there's a window there, and obviously this part of the way it's getting dark. Oh, do you want to get your light fixed? I, I, there is no light in here. This this room, ah. believe it or not. Um, I um, <laughs> it's uh, that's all right. Um, we'll have the yin and yang. Uh, yeah, effect. I'll move a bit closer to the, the, the thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, the, there's um, there's a, a light fitting that's been taken down, and it, like anything oh. else with me, it's been down for months. So I've been meaning to get it in. So if it gets dark to people, that's what's happening, just in case so they know. No, no worries. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, a similar experience with with jujitsu, where it was very far away. I mean, I had closer places, but I tried them out, and I had some really bad experiences there. So the person I ended up uh, linking up with that really uh, clicked with for a teacher was two hours drive each way. So to go in the middle of the day, it was a four-hour uh, trek, um, just in the car, Never mind the, uh, the hour and 15 hour and a half class that was there. So, um, it was long term, but I didn't plan. I only planned on getting a blue belt level of skill. And that was one of the mantis coaches I was working with was really, uh, encouraged me to do juju, uh, to do, um, Brazilian jujitsu because we just don't have an answer for what happens when you're on the ground. Mm. Uh, and if the Chinese arts ever had it, which I do believe that they did, because it's it's not something exclusive to Jap Japan with judo or uh, jujitsu or uh, Brazil or wrestling. I mean, this is uh, something that humans have had to deal with and contend with for thousands of years for forever. Uh, so <clears throat> I think that whatever existed in China has been lost. There are some hints of it. I actually did some forms that weren't Mantis early on that had moves in it that I know what those moves are now from Brazilian mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu that it's like, oh, that's cool. So I can I can see hints of it, but uh, we didn't have any answer for that. And no. 
there's little right. bits, you know, from the from the karate perspective, you know, um, references to groundwork, to his, but it's nowhere near as developed. And, and again, so like Itaman in one of his books, he talks about holds, and that's ground fighting holds. He says these are not as well developed as they are in judo. He acknowledges that judo guys do these better. So it's like anything else, you know, if you want to learn something, learn it from the expert, don't learn it from the amateur. So, right. you know, if, if judo is specialized, for example, in throwing, then it makes sense to go to them to learn throwing. Uh, my, 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 my own little mantra is I acknowledge I can't be an expert at everything, but I want to be a beginner at nothing. That, that, that's where I'm, 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 I've got. That's a good one. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like there's just, I mean, I always I, I'll refer to the judo guys again. So while I was there, the full time guys are training five days a week, have one rest day and compete on Sundays. You know, and that's their lives. And they're training typically three, four times a day to get good at throwing and groundwork, um, yep. uh, to get really good. You know what I mean? Like world right. level good. So if I was to then say to them, and now I'm going to teach you to punch and now I'm going to teach you to kick, they haven't got time. You know, they, right. they haven't got time to do it. And they're full time at it. Most people aren't full time. So I think the, the key is you choose what you want to be, have a good base in everything. Particularly self-defense wise, I think that's really important. You don't need to be the world's best puncher, but you should know how to throw a punch. You know what I mean? Yes. So, you know, you don't need to be the world's best grappler, but you should know the basics for self-defense purposes. And then you decide which areas you want to specialize in. That's always, always been my my thing. Can't be, I like striking. Um, um, I, I like all of it, but I, I, my judo instructor did say that to me. He said, you took up the wrong martial art, right? Because, you know, with your build and everything, if you said you took up judo when you're younger, you could have been good at this. And I went, no, you're wrong. He says, how do you think the karate was the right art for you? And it goes, because I just like hitting things. <laughs> in the time yeah. it takes me to in the time it takes me to throw you, I could have hit you five times. <laughs> so that answers a question I was gonna ask you today. It was if you regretted uh, if you regretted your choice and if you had to do it all over again, would you have still chosen that art? So Yeah, no, I think no, I think I'm karate's been good to me. But but what I've been lucky is I've been able to do karate in my way. So I've made it into what I want it to be through my choice of who I've studied with and how I've taught it and how I've practiced. Right. So, uh, but, but in retrospect, you know, I, I, if, if I took up another system, I'd probably still be pretty much where I am now. You know, I, I like the karate vehicle. I like the history for it. But if I'd ended up going to a jujitsu club by instead, I'm sure that my practice would be fairly similar now. Yeah. Do you think that, um, do you think that, I don't. Um, so, how many kata do you have in your system? Maybe well, what questions to start with? Yeah. So, I, I, in our in our club, we 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 do ten in total, and, okay. and that's 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 over about a twenty year period. So, uh, you, so we do far fewer than most. Yeah. Do you? Oh, so there's typically more in other styles. Yeah, okay. m m most people will probably know that. Um, 10, 12 within the first three or four years of training. But what they do is they learn the surface of it so they can replicate it, but right. they don't do anything with it. Whereas we have a whole series of two-person drills that go along with them, so they yep. take longer to learn. So yeah. do you do you have all the applications worked out now for every yeah. kata? Nice. Yeah, for all all, all awesome. the ones that we do, and yeah, we, we, we've got set ones. So, so And again, that leads to, I mean, you might have a, a similar thing because obviously we've got, in some cases, you have firm historical records that point to this move means this. In other yeah. cases, you're following guidance and, and you're coming to your own fairly solid, but still nevertheless your own conclusions. So mm. there's um, sometimes people go, yeah, but we don't know what the application for that move originally was. I, go, I don't care because right. I know what that is for us. 
Exactly. My students get taught exactly what that application is. It doesn't matter to me what the school down the road does. It doesn't matter to me what they did 100 years ago. It, it's, it's fulfilling the purpose we need it to for it us. Does it work? That's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Does it work? Yeah. It's not archaeology. I mean, that that's there's a part of that that I've enjoyed is trying to figure things out and uh, reverse engineering. And when you do figure out what somebody's intent was, it's cool. But do you even use that? And would you even use that in your own style of fighting? Mm. Uh, is it are you the right build for the person who created that move? Are you the right? Do you have the right setups to to make it happen? Or can you never even get there in a fight to to see it through? Yeah. So there's all these other factors that go along with. It's not just what do you what does what did uh, such and such master hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, what was their intent with that move? If you know it, then that's cool. But does as long as what you do works, then why does that matter? It, it, let's say, well, I always use. I'm going to see if I can put my uh, light on here uh, on my phone, so, we can just, um, <laughs> so we're going to get low techy. But I, I always liken it to because um, um, the, there is that danger that people do. Is that and it's kind of spooky now, right? <laughs> <laughs> This is the Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, there we go. That's slightly better. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 it's time here. I should have recorded it in a room that had working light fittings. But, yeah, I, I always like it too. I say, um, I know what an aeroplane is for. That does not make me a pilot. You know, so, so, so when people go, I know what this move is, well done you. But exactly that. Can you, you as an right. individual, can you make that work? Right. You know, and, and that's ultimately that what matters. It's not an intellectual exercise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, and that's a trap uh, that you. I got caught in that rabbit hole of of trying to figure things out because we didn't have anything to work from. Um, there's no records. There's, you've got. If anything, you have the opposite. It was a hundred at least a hundred and twenty years, possibly longer, of not knowing what that move did, and people. Um, you know, like it to the game. I don't know if you play this game in the UK with kids, but the, the game of telephone yeah, where yeah, yeah, yeah. you whisper something in somebody's ear. So every generation that passes down a, a kata or a, a taolu that we call it in Chinese, a form, it's changed a little bit, mm. a little bit. I mean, you can preserve it as well as you can, but if you don't have the application of the move, you're going to change it, whether yeah, you know yeah. it or not. So by the time it reaches uh, 1990 or 2000 or 2020, it's not exactly the same as it was in 1900 or 1890 or 1800, whatever year. Mm. Yeah, no, it's similar for us. I mean, the, the one positive that karate has is that it's widely practiced. So there's therefore, yeah. there's a little bit more um, historical records to go at. Um, which yeah. is quite quite useful, and you've got all the different lines of evolution. So it's a little bit like linguistics, I guess, when you're trying to trace back what old languages are. You can compare German and English and Norwegian and see certain things in common. So you can take a guess. Yeah. This was probably what Proto-Germanic was like, you know. So I think there's something like that. You can look at. Well, this is how Shotokan do it, Shitoru do it, Wado do it, Matsubashiru yeah. do it. So you can work out what are the idiosyncrasies of the style and what were the core things, you know, and those core things on the whole seem to have came through pretty much intact, you know. It's, it's a very different uh, culture too. I mean, the, the Japanese are very good at recording things. And if the, Ch the Chinese were in some regards, but a lot of that stuff was burned. 
mm-hmm. in the purges when Mao came to power. Um, you had the Cultural Revolution. You had a lot of periods of transition and change in China where they tried to erase the past. Mm-hmm. So if there were records on things, it didn't always follow through. No. There's the myth. I know that I was reading on your website as well, which I found interesting. There's the the myths that get attached to the style origins as well, which then, because they've been repeated so often, become fact. You know, yeah. So yeah. So we within karate, there's there's lots of that. The breaking boards was originally to punch through wooden armor, and it was a method to really? fight. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonsense. Oh, so you're not immune to that either. Okay. No, no, no. no we've got that. That it was karate. It was the uh, methods of the Okinawan resistance against the samurai invaders. None of that's true. That it, it was originally all came from the Shaolin Temple. No, it didn't. You know, it's it's it's, it, it's um, so yeah. I think that the myths are interesting because they told them for a purpose, and that in itself is interesting. What what were the? Why did they tell this story? What did they want you to think? And why did they want you to think it? But I also find the true history is a lot more interesting. You know, if we can get I know, to this, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. it's uh, and we have this problem where. I was doing a ton of um, a ton of research two two winters ago on our roots because there's a lot of mystery as to where the style, not where it came from, but who really started it, when it was really started, um, and the 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 fact came up, or the facts that came up showed in the 1800s and early 1900s. The people that were doing this stuff were incredibly interesting, like badasses, uh, security guards, uh, bodyguards, security specialists um, versus these myths of, okay, it went back to this this person and you can't even prove that they were alive. And then it went to a temple and disappeared in the temple for 200 years. And then all of a sudden (laughs) it was spit out again and. Uh, there's a lot of revisionist history in China for reasons of uh, respecting ancestors, like not taking credit for something yourself and, and handing it off to those before you. Or uh, in the case of uh, one founder in Mantis Boxing, who I, where it really kind of starts, not the myth before it, but his origin story is confusing because it exactly matches the origin story of Confucius. <laughs> So what a coincidence. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. And, yeah. and, uh, the history that I was taught and it was just spit out to me for years when I started was it all came from Bodhidharma, which was yeah. a, a monk from India. And it's like, no, come on. Um, none of that is, is real. And it's interesting to hear that I thought the karate systems and the Japanese systems were better about that, but I guess, it's not the case. No, no. For the, for the probably for similar reasons, I think as well. That there's a um, a sense of legitimacy if you can claim that you know this thing. This wasn't something we fused together in the late 1800s. This right. was something that's been for thousands of years. You know, this has been practiced, and it tends to be. You see these typical patterns like. Um, uh, Formed by watching some animals fight, you know, it's, it's typical ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Formed by a sick child who eventually became strong. Uh, yeah, founded that's... by a weak person who became strong and then wanted vengeance. You know, all these uh, historical figure. 
you know, like like body Dharma is a religious figure as well. So he did it. Right. I always say it was like, like me as an Englishman saying that, oh yeah, my martial art can be traced back to King Arthur. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's equally ridiculous, but may have some sense of legitimacy, <laughs> or, or or romantic appeal rather. You know, it just right, right. It, it just doesn't make uh, make any um, any sense. But people are really tethered to those myths, though. Some oh, people yeah. don't want to give them up. You know. Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, that's part of the resistance of. Of, in my experience, is not just battling the the fact that I want to do something different than what other people are doing with Mantis. It's also, oh, you can't change the history. You can't you can't mess with these myths. That yeah. these are hard and, and hard and true. These are things that we believe, and you you have to break those molds in order to advance. Sometimes, and I think going back to what you said about the the real history is cooler than the fake. Uh, when you look at the the period of time that a lot of these Chinese boxing arts really evolved, there were horrific things going on that created these styles where millions of people, and I'm not exaggerating, millions of people were dying from famines and droughts and uh, disease and wars and rebellions and it's these hardships that I personally, I find, I guess it would be, I guess the individual's choice. Do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? Do you mm -hmm. prefer uh, Star Wars or reading about the Apollo program? Uh, it's maybe that, that it's as simple as that, but the reality of it is so much more interesting than the, and it even started in the 1930s. And there's documentation of this where they started calling it Arhat boxing. Hmm. Uh, and Arhat was uh, a way of saying Buddha. So a lot of teachers were saying their style came from Buddha because it was marketing. It's like, well, if my style came from Buddha, none of those guys are teaching good stuff. Their, their <laughs> stuff sucks because I got it from the Buddha directly. So then everybody starts saying they got theirs from the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so same, same, same with Karate. Well, it's interesting as well because, like, you've got um, uh, Itosu, who's one of the more influential um, karate masters, and uh, he wrote his Ten Precepts in 1908. This famous document that um, I paid a fortune to get translated. But, but, it, but in that, he said um, the opening line is karate did did not come from Buddhism or Confucianism. It just tells the truth, you know. Um, this 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 it doesn't have uh, religious origins. Yeah, yeah. However, his students would then repeat these Bodhidharma, however you pronounce it, myths, because mm -hmm. it, it, exactly that it can make it seem more legitimate, you know, to to to, to right. people who um, are like. For me, see, I, I'm so I, I mythology is something I, I genuinely have always loved. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Egyptian yep. mythology, all of that. I find it fascinating. So I, th I think it's still possible to enjoy the mythology. You don't have to give up the stories. You can have the stories, but you right. just need to understand that, yeah, there were stories and this is why they told the stories, you know, and then get back to the, the, the true history. Because I think if you want it to be a functional system, you've got to be able to view it through the right historical lens to understand what it is that you're looking right. at. Correct. Yeah. This this becomes very true. Uh, there was one. There's one branch of Mantis boxing that it's a real anomaly, um, and it appeared on the scene in the 
the turn of the century when the fall of the Qing dynasty and we start getting into the Republican era. And the the history of it, the the lineage is really sketchy. Um, and it looks very fabricated to give it legitimacy. And I found where it actually intersected because it became from a different style completely. It was attached to Xing Yichuan or Lilhe, uh, Six Harmony, was really the founder. And the lineage is, is um, ingrained in that Six Harmony style, that Xing Yi style. But then in the early 1900s, they get rebranded as Mantis. And they have one form that was never changed, that existed. It was the only form before it got blended with Mantis. Mm. And that form was developed by uh, a bodyguard. He was a bodyguard for a family for most of his life. And he taught their kids and that the kids went on and taught this form and it still survives, but mm. you can find evidence in that form of what the origin looked like and what its real intent was yeah, of yeah. self-defense and mm. survival. So it's, it's neat. It's cool. Mm. Um, I think cooler than, some of the other histories that you find. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think that, um, yeah, the, the truth is generally a lot more, more interesting. But if people do like the karate thing, if they, if they buy into the myth, and this is a way of disarming a, a samurai when you know that they're, they're the cultural oppressors, you're never going to understand it properly. You're never going to be able to right. look at what it is and understand that it's true context. So, um, do you get the thing? Um, so, because the, the history in karate is far from complete. There's mm. there's a lot of unknowns, and particularly the further back you go, so people have a really bad habit of filling the gap. So yeah. that the, the, they create a, a story, or oh, maybe this, and then by mm. the power of the internet, in a matter of weeks, it's now repeated back to you as fact. So do, right. you have, do you obviously have similar things? Do you people modern myths effectively? Um, yes. Uh, I mean, in my I have to dig back because I've been trying to erase the stuff that was <laughs> that was fake, right? So as I was coming up, there were stories that were more recent, but they there's no truth necessarily truth to them or um. It's harder to find, but I think the internet has definitely solidified things in the wrong direction mm. uh, at times. However, uh, it's done the opposite in far greater um, e efficacy, in my opinion, because you have in your neck of the woods down um, at Cardiff University, you have uh, Dr. Paul Bowman, who started a, a co or helped start the martial arts studies group which are all these people, this is a growing field of research in not just Chinese martial arts, but Japanese martial arts, Korean martial arts, Brazilian, um, European. And they are all people who are, are long, lifelong martial artists or fascinated by martial arts, but they're academic scholars as well. Most of them hold PhDs and they're doing due diligence to this historical research. So mm -hmm. we're able to start to put these pieces back together and show, okay, no, this is when I would not know, for example, um, I would not know that tidbit about our hat boxing 
if it weren't for uh, Dr. Ben Judkins, who's at Cornell University in New York, who has the blog Kung Fu Tea. Mm. Um, and he does, he puts a lot of his research notes up there. He has a few books that he's written, but his, uh, he posted um, a lot of research on uh, a guy who was a news, newspaper journalist in Shanghai in the 1930s, and he was excoriating teachers at the time for making up fake lineages and <laughs> fake myths about their styles to sell, to, to, to get more students. And uh, I would never know that if it weren't for the work that he was doing. And that if he hadn't published that on the internet, I wouldn't have found it when I was doing my research. So yeah. it's a great thing now because the information sh uh, gets shared much more readily and much more good, which, which again, again, that, so there's less of an excuse not to know. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can, I, I think people just need to fact check a little bit more. And, and by, by, by doing so, the, the, the true history start to come out. But I've seen that, you know, I've seen this, this thing where you get, um, someone will mention something as an hypothesis, then it becomes fact within a matter of weeks. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and, and then when, and I've, I've had things dropped, oh, it wasn't it this. And when you start digging back, I can't find any evidence to support this claim at all. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, which, which again makes the, I mean, for me, the, the, the I'm I, the martial arts history interests me, but only insofar as it helps me to understand what I'm Content. doing now. Right. So, right. so uh, you'll see internet arguments where they'll argue about no, this master didn't die in 1916; it was 1917. I, I don't care. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any difference to yeah. me. Those little those little historical nuances don't. But if it's got relevance to the way we practice, then then I'm I'm very much interested. I would. Personally, I have to disagree a little there from just from my experience, not yours, because for for what trying to do the trying to do the work that I've been doing that that one year difference mattered a lot yeah. because in trying to track down the roots of Mantis, which were very um ethereal is maybe a good word for it um in trying to track that down there are a lot of stories that so-and-so studied with this guy yeah. and that's where he got his mantis but then when i compared dates of birth and dates of death or i looked at okay well that guy didn't even go to that city until he was 65 and you supposedly studied with him that guy supposedly studied yeah. with him 13 years before that um and I, I get what you're saying. It like the past should inform the present to build context. But also on the other side, and this was why I disagreed only from my experiences, that those dates mattered no. in trying to put the pieces together. Yeah. No hundred percent. No, in in that way it does. You know, in, if you're trying to work out who trained with who and for how long. You know, because there are there are things where you realize, oh yeah, you trained with him this particular when he when he was twelve and he trained yeah. with him for two years. So, so right. how much did you learn during that time? So that that, that kind yes. of stuff, you know, exactly. I, yeah, it, yeah, it exactly. can, can can definitely be uh, be useful and uh, inf informative. But but I think it's it's when it becomes uh, his, history for history's sake. Have you, have oh, you read yeah. the book um, um, Martial Arts Training? Uh, sorry, Chinese Martial Arts Training Manuals. Yes, because I, I was going to just for anyone watching this that, that for, from I have that it's one of my favorite books on the Chinese yep. systems. Brian Kennedy because that's good. Elizabeth so, book. 
That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's. Re- I always think it's a it, it's an awful title. <laughs> it's such a bland title for what is otherwise a superb book. You know, it's really um, uh, interesting, and they do a lot of good like academic rigor in there and a good bit of myth busting in there. So, yes. I would recommend that book to people, no matter which style right. you do, because it's great well, at cutting through all that stuff. One of my coaches uh, in Mantis was friends with Brian Kennedy, and. Uh, and so Brian Kenny passed away, I think, last year, if I recall. It might have been early this year. Um, <clears throat> but Brian, uh, I didn't know him. I never met him. So I could be uh, totally off on this. But my understanding is he had quite a bone to pick with Chinese martial arts. Because like myself, I mean, it sounds, by listening to your story, um, you and I have very similar paths and experiences, but it, it sounds like you, we, we were forged a little differently in the regard that you were very much encouraged and, uh, you kind of had a positive reinforcement to do, to expand and, mm-hmm. and grow and figure the things out that you have. And I had a darker experience when, on my end where it was less, uh, encouraged if you will or uh, any difference from your teacher was was scorned or uh frowned upon often so however um in in that dark experience there's a lot of bad stuff with chinese martial arts that Mm. like fake fake stories fake myths it's not just the myths of historical figures or lineage it's it's also just this bait and switch of you know, people pretending that they knew how to fight or, or claiming they knew how to fight and you never see them fight. They never taught fighting. They never fought, taught application. It's just forms in Kata mm-hmm. and Taolu and a, a lot of uh, charlatans, I would say, or, uh, and I have no, let me, I always try to preface this with, um, and now I'm not prefacing, but I always try to leave the disclaimer that if you like that, style of training where you just want to do kata mm. go for it yep. i i fully support that it's only when people do that and they claim that they can fight or they claim that they're teaching other people how to fight where i have the breakdown and i'm mm. sure you would have the same problem yeah. with that so uh, i think brian's experience was was with dealing with a lot of people that claimed to to be teaching one thing and that's not what's happening. So it really encouraged him to, to bust through a lot of BS mm. in Chinese martial arts. Which, which, he, which he does superbly well in that book. It's one, it's a, it's a really good read, which strongly, yeah. strongly encourage that. Yeah. I mean, with, 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 with my own instructors, I've, they've always been very supportive. I've never had that one where it's just been, you know, train with me and no one else and do things as I do. It's always been well, yeah. I, like, like, a, like a good father is, right? They want to give you the skills to get out in the world and make it on your own. They don't want you living in the basement when you're in your 50s. You know, <laughs> so, so, you know so it's the same kind of thing. It's, you know, you need to be able to learn enough to survive on your own, you know. Right, right. So, so exactly. and all of them are like that. But within the, the karate community, there, there are definitely some who see challenges to the convention um, um, to be unpopular. Even, even it's a strange thing how people will defend the tradition by denying the tradition as well. 
So um, I can point out, you know, people will go, um, this particular, the, the one I, I, that has almost became a, a meme, but they're pulling the hand to the hip, you know, that you often see in, in karate yeah. katas where the hand will shoot back. Well, if you look at all of the old literature, it's clear that that is pulling limbs out of the way or grabbing yeah. clothing. So like grab and smash. So you know where right. they are. That, that, that's right. its purpose. Um, but then in the 1960s, uh, there was a, a influential karate book written where the, the guy had said that it was to generate power. Because at this point, they're no longer training at close range. So the idea of cleaning paths, cleaning paths and gripping doesn't apply. They're now always right. at like you know, 10 feet apart or more. So mm -hmm. why are we pulling the hand to the hip? So they come up with the answer. Well, we're doing it because it encourages rotation and it's for power. So, so, um, um, so I no, it's not. It, it, it like, it, it, firstly, it doesn't work. It doesn't generate right. any extra power. It's wrong. No, physically, it's wrong biologically. I have a funny story, I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> you'll laugh at. And, and it's wrong historically. But even when you would point it to the uh, look, this is what the the founder of the system said about the purpose of that pan position. You'll still get people going, no, but my teacher said. You know what I mean? So, so therefore, you get that kind of pushback. So. It's, you can't it's, it's fight strange. that. You no, you can't fight that. And you realize it's not about evidence either. It's 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 about um, uh, egos generally. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear your story about that because that's uh, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll humiliate myself for the benefit <laughs> of everybody. Um, so I, I started. You know that that hand to the hip thing is not unique to the Japanese styles. We did it. Uh, had a, a lot of training early on, um, which if I stopped to think about it, could have been taken back from karate because some of these forms that I learned when I started in Mantis boxing were actually newer and they were created to help teach kids and teach oh, yeah. beginners uh, what's fairly complex. Uh, Mantis has a lot of complex moves in it, and um, so it might have been taken back from from there. I don't know, but we had the hand to the hip mm. thing, and uh, we would strike from there, and we would do the blocks, boom, <laughs> block down and the punch. And uh, so I go to the beach. Uh, it's York Beach in uh, Maine, and they have an arcade. And I'm walking around the arcade and I have only been training for, I think, a year, year and a half. And I'm up there, I'm by myself and I'm, I go in and they have this, this giant caricature of uh, a strong man and they have a, a punching pad on his belly. And you can punch the pad and it will rate how strong you are with the light that goes up. And uh, it's got little names next to it, whether you're super strong or you're awesome, right? So I'm like, all right, I've been training. I'm going to hit this thing and I'm going to smash it. So I put my dollar in and <laughs> I get in the best horse stance that I could possibly muster. And I get my hands down by my sides and I boom and I hit it as hard as I can. And it goes doo -doo 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 -doo. weakling. <laughs> and now I'm like, what? So I put in another dollar. <laughs> like clearly there's something wrong. I must <laughs> I must have been out of alignment or something. I hit it again and it comes up worse. It calls I like useless worm or whatever it was that it called me. 
and uh, pathetic, I think. <laughs> pathetic. So now I'm getting mad. And uh, like, what is this stuff I've been training for the last year, year and a half it, it, that uh, I can't even punch? This thing's not working. I put another dollar in. And uh, now I hit it as hard as I can again. I try to shift to a bow stance, thinking that that rotation is going to give me more power. Nothing. Still <laughs> weakling, weakling. And I finally got so mad, I stood up, and I just, boom, I just sucker punched it right in the gut. And it went, blasted <laughs> it right out the top. It's like, oh, so this stuff doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's one of the things I find with power generation though, because it's 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 one of the easiest things to test. You yeah. can just get someone to hold the pad, hit the pad, and they can tell you whether it was a strong or weak shot. Right. But you get all these very bizarre ideas about power generation, and it's just you know, just hit something, just hit something, and if it works, we'll all immediately know that it works. You know, I had a I, it was funny. I had a student that was a black belt in Taekwondo, and uh, they in Taekwondo. That's at least where she trained. There was a lot of emphasis put on high round kicks that were snappy. And, mm. you know, you can pose with your leg up in the air and you can just throw mm. multiple kicks. Pop, 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 pop. Mm. And uh, so when I teach a round kick, uh, I teach it more like a, a dragon lashing its tail where you just you're generating a lot of force and you blast as hard as you can. But your leg comes out more in a uh like a whip yeah yeah and uh so she i tried to help her with her kick one day but uh didn't want to she didn't really want help she wanted she was um kind of in in that funnel that what she had been taught was right that was yeah, it yeah. Right? that was the best and uh it was it was kind of cool because shortly thereafter uh, was the fight with Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. Yeah. And uh, Holly Holm head kicks Ronda Rousey and knocks her out. And uh, so then she comes back after that fight. She said, now I understand what you were trying to say. <laughs> and uh, it was cool. It was like, okay, that kick looked fancy. It looks awesome that your balance is great. Um, it's it's crisp the precision is amazing but can you knock somebody mm -hmm. out with it and the same with you know these punches that I, I think it's definitely one of the problems that the traditional martial arts have that the more modern ones particularly the ones that um engage in have a strong competitive outlet don't have because, because, like, so if you go to boxing, everything's measured by effect. Judo, it's measured by effect. Same with BJJ. If it works, we're mm -hmm. keeping it. If it doesn't, right. we're not. It was, was within certain strains within the traditional world, I call it artificial success criteria. So it, 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 they just invent something that determines whether it's good or not. So it's good because Master X said, or this is the way right. we have it documented, or it looks good. You know, right. and I'm always, I want, I don't, you know, I, I, I like when I do things and um, it looks sharp. I, I like the aesthetics of it. But to sure. me, the, the aesthetics comes from the fact that it's a coordinated functional movement. Yeah. So, so the, by seeking efficiency, it will develop a certain aesthetic. But, mm -hmm. but just pursuing a, an arbitrary aesthetic doesn't guarantee efficiency. 
so, so you know, and, and again, that, that it, it definitely happens with kata as a classic example. It, people do the kata solely to get good at the kata. And like you said before, I have no problem at all with people doing that because they just like yeah. the art of it. They like the way it makes the body feel. It's some kind of personal expression, 100% mm -hmm. behind all that. I think, I think, again, the problem I have is when it's uh, somehow by some unidentified process, doing this pretty movement will lead to combative function. Right. Uh, th th that's where it all breaks down a little bit for me. You know? it, do it, it does. And, and I don't think it's it. I don't think it should be something that you or I. It just breaks down for us. It breaks down, period. There's a mm. complete disconnect. Uh, and I saw it first. I witnessed it because I was in schools where I was in many schools. It wasn't just in one school. I didn't have one teacher where there was a, OK, we spend most of the time doing uh, forms, doing talu, kata. Uh, and then at the end of class, there's sparring, but there's absolutely no symmetry mm -hmm. between the two. There's no symbiosis. There's no connection. You're not applying anything that you did in any form. And yet people are led to believe that that they're learning to fight and they're learning to to use that art the way that it was meant to be used and that's not it's not the case no. that's fascinating to me because that's it's it's it, it, with with um the the sometimes we talk about 3k karate so you've got the you've got the kata which the mm -hmm. kumite which is effectively the sparring and the yep. keon, which is the basics. So, so, um, so uh, it, it's not—it's a derogatory term used a lot these days, where people will go three K karate with with kata kumite and keon, and never the three shall meet. So they do basics oh. to get good. At, they do basics to get good at basics. Kata to get good at kata, and their kumite, their method of sparring, is divorced from either of those. It doesn't resemble either. It, typically, yeah. it's based on modern points fighting. Um, so, so you end up with this very dis disconnected system. Whereas, whereas um, the way I would like to do it is it all integrates. So the yeah. the the, the uh, basics training will will use that in the way that we spar. The methods of the kata will inform our two person drills. The skills we learn from the two personal drills we'll do in our live drills. It, it's all more holistic. So it's really interesting to me because th those are common um, terms in my. Um, my circle, my, you know, people will talk about 3K right. karate. And it's interesting that from your Chinese background, you see exactly the same thing. Exactly. Forms are one thing, and then the sparring bears no resemblance to it at all. Yep. It was uh, very much, uh, okay, stand in a horse stance for our basics. Stand in your horse stance for five minutes at the beginning of class, or we're going to do uh, these basics may be different from school to school, but a uh, good example. And then we're going to stand in a, a bow stance. We're going to stand in a cat stance. Okay, so you do all your your stance training, and then it's work on forms, and then it's fighting. And as you said perfectly, never the three shall meet. <laughs> um, absolutely saw that. And I, I, I think I have a bit more of a cynical outlook on things and on life just from my experiences, but I think a lot of that developed in some point in the last hundred years where teachers that didn't know how to fight and use the original art were, and were working in uh, teaching for commercial purposes for, mm. for a living really needed filler material. Um, there's certainly nothing wrong with training basics. I, and I personally believe in, and I teach this to my students that if something's going wrong as a black belt level, even when you're fighting, it's never, okay, I did this advanced move wrong. It's yeah. some basic 
something in the basics and our level of understanding of the basics. I'm sure you, you can attest to this changes as we, as we grow. It's like what, what that stance looked like when you began and what you understood about it is completely different Mm -hmm. than later on. And that depth is awesome. I mean, that's what keeps me going in martial arts. If that depth, as you spoke to earlier when we, in their conversation, if that depth wasn't there, if this was all figured out, hell, I would have just done like a two year martial art where <laughs> you're just, you're done. Okay. Check that box. I can kick <laughs> ass now. Um, but there's, there's not that clear distinction. And the, so I don't want to be mistaken, misinterpreted as saying the basics are a waste of time. Uh, that's not the case, but I guess uh, defining what basics are from teacher to teacher would be a distinction. However, the, uh, there has to be some sort of integration of what that basic is doing to inform our fighting or to make our fighting better. And if there isn't, then it, it's just filler yeah. material. You're it, just it, wasting people's time. It's, it's a way you organize it as well. I mean, an analogy I've heard is it's the difference between a pile of bricks and a house. You know, you, the, the pile of bricks, everything's still there, but they're, they're not connected or arranged in the right way. Yeah, you that's know? good. So, so it, it's the way in which they integrate them together seems to be the, um, the, the, key, the key thing. Because yeah. I get that as well. You know, the, I think sometimes because I have been quite vocal in, um, trying to make sure that everything's part of that holistic whole, like yourself, I will get critique uh, from mm-hmm. people saying, so you're saying that the solo cut is not important, or are you saying that the basics aren't important? No, they're very important. But what mm-hmm. makes them important is the way that they, they germinate as part of a whole. I, I use the example, uh, like, uh, as a, if you wanted an oak tree, you, you know, mm-hmm. you go get an acorn, but what you don't, what most traditional martial artists do is they collect acorns and they shine their acorns, but they never plant them and let them grow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So the, the, the cutter, if you like, is, is a seed from mm. which your training is supposed to, to, to grow. So the, the, the master can't give you everything he's ever learned, but he can say, look, these are the fundamentals and this encapsulates the fundamentals. And if you study these things, it, you, you'll, you'll progress along your own path. And then people miss the point completely. A friend of mine uh, yeah. used to, yeah, used to it's, um, um, a friend of mine used to call it polishing the egg. You know, if you want to cook, you break the egg. You you want to start, you get in, get inside it. So when we were ever at courses, if people were polishing the egg, as in just teaching something for its own sake, he would always, you probably can't see in the dark, but he'd make that little hand gesture at me, which just, yeah. you know, just one hand on the other like this, which, which was just cold, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're just polishing the egg now. We're not learning anything. We're not breaking things down. We're not getting to the core of anything. But right. We're playing on the surface in a way that isn't going to lead us anywhere, you know. It's fascinating to me, absolutely fascinating. Um, because so, I know these things go on in the Japanese and Okinawan art. Yeah, I, I, this this conversation is really interesting. I had it, no idea. Like I'm learning a lot about like like there's just how much so much is in common between the two uh, backgrounds of Chinese versus Japanese martial arts, and how much crossover in some of these, I would say, mistakes or uh, just malfunctions of of the way they've been passed down. Yeah, well, and for me, it's interesting to learn that, you know, it's like that, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. So, so there's that thing of, it, 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 you could, like, for example, with the karate, I could point to, okay, so what happened was it was spread through the Okinawan, so the Japanese university system. You had a lot of people who were learning 
uh, karate while they were at university. They were learning yeah. it very quickly. They wanted them to go out and learn to be teachers. So there's that pressure that people are learning things on a very superficial level and then going out to, to spread it. And then they think, well, you know, I, 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 to my knowledge, you know, it wasn't the same thing in China, but nevertheless, you end up with very, yeah, you end up with very similar things, if not exactly the same, similar cultural pressures that lead to similar outcomes. Well, uh, so it wasn't always like that. I, th I think that the karate history probably has that a little, a little further back than the uh, Chinese boxing history, but the post uh, post 1950s, that's really what you saw is when it finally made it to the shores of America, the people that were bringing it here were college students from okay. Taiwan, from Hong Kong, uh, from they were maybe going to school and they, uh, getting a higher education, but they were doing it on the side and they brought it to the U.S. and then they became a teacher of martial arts here, whether full-time or part-time. Uh, one of my good friends trained with a guy who's a dentist and he had a dental practice in, in Boston area, but he was from um, Taiwan where he did martial arts in college, but now he comes to America and he's mysterious. <laughs> he is, uh, he has some martial arts experience. So he in injects himself into the, onto the scene. Um, and he becomes a master <laughs> without any qualifications yeah. to back that up. Um, and never fights and never, I mean, I've, and I've told this story before to repeat it, but, um, he, my friend studied with him for four years, never learned a single technique or application and went to him and said one day, um, this is awesome. I love training with you, but when are you going to teach me to fight? And he said, every, uh, when you can start picking me up for work every day, taking my clothes to the dry cleaner for me, getting my groceries. And if you do that for eight years, then I'll teach you how to fight. Okay, so you just created an impossible task that nobody <laughs> in America who has to survive by working for a living can ever follow through with to challenge you on the fact that you may or may not know how to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Similar things here in Europe, of course, for that, though. You know, you get um, uh, some uh, outright charlatans. You know what mm. I mean? So you get people just, you know, with very little, but will, you know, try and make a living as a martial arts instructor despite not having a great deal of skill and experience. You right. also get some who have great skills and abilities in one area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, but which gets transposed. So they may have been a university champion, which is an uh, impressive feat, but that okay. doesn't mean they're necessarily the most knowledgeable person about the traditional applications of that system. Huh. You know what I mean? It, it means that they did well in a specific sporting outlet. You know what I mean? Okay. But then are, are deemed masters full stop. And and it's a well-known thing that, you know, people would get on the plane as a, you know, second down in Japan and land as a sixth down in Europe. You know what I mean? It was um, something magical happened on those flights, you know? Yes. So, um, yes. so that, that happens too. So you get, the, you get the, the misunderstandings with the more modern history. And then, and then you get people who've learned it that way and then pass it on and believe it was, it was this, it was ever thus. You know, it's right. always been like this. Right. You know, the one I do, the one I always find fascinating as well, but is, is, is you will get so the, the first wave that came over here. So their um, uh, their English generally wasn't that great, at least initially. 
so that they were teaching broken English with a very thick Japanese accent. And I can still point to English karate instructors who, as soon as they step on the mat, will develop a Japanese accent <laughs> and will we'll go from speaking fluent English to speaking it in a broken way because they just copy everything. You know, yeah. break down the nuances of the way that they talk. And that, that includes um, not questioning because the, yeah. the instructor, through no fault of his own, there's a language barrier. He can't give detailed answers. So, so when people True. would ask something, you just show it again and again and again, you know, just, well, you know, they wouldn't have the, the, the vocabulary to explain it. And so again, people copy that. You get instructors who don't really teach. They just demo things and copy. <laughs> so, and you can educate me on this. Is I'm not familiar with the Japanese culture in this uh, regard, but in the Chinese culture is often impolite to, to ask questions of the teacher. So that was culturally handed down. Like you never questioned the teacher. You never... You never did that. Was that the same in the Japanese history, or yeah, to a to a degree, which you can understand from from that perspective. But when it arrives here, that's obviously you know, in, in the first generation, you can understand how um, there may have been a bit of a cultural adjustment or a little bit of a culture clash. But when right. when you're on the next generation, when you've got an English guy teaching another English guy, it, to me, it, it no longer makes sense to maintain those cultural trappings you, right. you, you might want to because you're interested in that culture but it, but in terms of the ease of communicating that information mm. as westerners we should talk as, as westerners which which again so this is another I mean, I'm, I'm worried i might be taking up your whole day here but i'll be interested no to see no, if, no 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 this is are we good no, yeah i don't know i'd be interested to see if, if this um uh, has a parallel too so one of the, the videos uh, I, I did on YouTube was traditional things I no longer do and why. So, mm. I, so in that, I, I went to th things that, that uh, and I wasn't talking about things that I found to be impractical or outdated or these right. better modern ways. I was talking about the cultural things that I yes. no longer do. So, um, uh, so for example, uh, we don't do the formal kneeling bows at the start and end of every class. And the reason I don't do them was, having spent a brief amount of time in Japan, it was clear to me that I don't get this. I'm doing my best to mimic it, but I don't really understand it culturally. So, right. and, and it's supposed to be a show of respect. So an easy way we can do that is we can, we can still do a quick bow, but we can touch gloves or pre-COVID, yep. we could shake hands. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd have ways in which you would... Um, uh, in a Western way, which would show that respect. I, mm -hmm. I, I, my, my, my students never did it, but, but I, they don't call me sensei. Because yeah, for, like for me, it, 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 yeah. not that, and for those that do, if, if it works for them, that's fine. But in this part of Northern England, it, it just, it's culturally jarring. You know, yeah. the, the, the way I would be, I, it's that first among equals thing, you see. So, but I got a lot of pushback from that. People that I was um, uh, almost like a form of martial blasphemy, you know. I, I, I was I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. But, but and my argument was well, but it's always done this. You know, you've got the right. Chinese systems come to Okinawa, they adapt, and the Okinawan systems go to Japan and they adapt, and the Japanese systems come here, and it's it's natural they would adapt as well. So as an American teaching Chinese systems, did, did, uh, I'm guessing from some of the nods that you've dropped some of the cultural things, and yeah. is that well received or? Well, it's kind of funny because I had it backwards. My initial, my, my initial experiences had none of the cultural trappings. So 
if anything, my first coach was really just trying to mimic some things he had done when he did um, praying mantis boxing, but he didn't really follow them and he didn't do them in any of his other classes. So um, occasionally he would introduce stuff like that, but it was. Um, and then the next school I went to was uh, previous to the generation that I was there was fractured, uh, had already fractured away from the traditional and gone to the more modern sport um, Chinese wushu, which was all created by the, um, Olympic committee and well, not Olympic. They wanted it to be Olympic, but the wushu committee in China, which was government, uh, sanctioned government run. Uh, these are the forums. This is how long it should take. This is the moves that are in there. Uh, these are the X number of, um, tricks that you're allowed to do in there that you get extra points for whatever. And he had already broken away from his teacher who hated him for wanting to even do that. So he didn't have any of the trappings of the traditional. And it wasn't until I got to, I, I had studied with a bunch of different coaches like on smaller scales, but the next long-term coach that I worked with uh, on a serious, really serious level that taught me the fighting component also was more hung up on the traditional component and mm -hmm. he wasn't Chinese, but he was brought up with all of that and he liked all that. So it was, Oh, you should have an altar in your school. Uh, you should have this, you should have the lioness. You should, uh, everybody should be in uniform. We should wear, which the Chinese didn't have uniforms. It wasn't like the Japanese arts where you had, um, you had the gi, um, mm. the kimono, you had, People just wore their clothing. So then we end up with frog button shirts. And it's like, well, that was one part of China or one period of time. It wasn't what everybody wore. And it wasn't a uniform because there wasn't necessarily until the early 1900s, there really weren't formal martial arts schools unless you were in the military. Mm. Because the people that really, and you probably read this in Brian Kennedy's book, it was gangsters, thugs, ruffians, um, criminals that were the ones doing the martial arts mm. and or soldiers. So uh, a lot of these trappings were kind of reverse layered mm. onto not only my experience, but I also believe in the Chinese martial arts itself. People yeah, yeah. added this stuff backwards and it, it wasn't handed down. And to to further answer your question about I was doing that for a little while I didn't really like it it's just not my thing um, I'm not not a religious person I was raised religious I I got away from all of that I like religion I like learning about it um but I'm not a particularly religious person so handing down another culture's religion yeah and belief structure seemed really at odds with my own uh character and my own core beliefs and i ended up getting rid of all that because it also was bizarre to be teaching in america in the suburbs of boston uh where parents are coming in with with often like higher education degrees and you're teaching their kids or you're teaching them and you're trying to tell them, okay we got to bow to the altar uh and we have to pay respects to the ancestors and you're trying to convince people that they're supposed to care about something that they no. 
It's never been a part of their life. And why are we doing it? It's, I think you said something very pointed about that is you, you had an epiphany when you were standing there. Like, I don't get it. Um, and I think that's true. I I believe that we should respect our teachers and coaches regardless of the term sensei, uh, shurfu, sifu, um, the respect should be there whether you call them coach or you call them Mr. Abernathy or you call them uh, Mr. Ian or Ian. I don't know how you, you have your students call you, but I prefer they call me Randy. And, yeah, same for each uh, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With you kids, know. I get a little more hung up just because of my age, I think. And when we were growing up, it was Mr. and Mrs. Whenever you talk to an adult, it was always Mr. and Mrs. You never called them by their first name. No, no. Yeah. Um. And if you said your aunt or uncle, you always, if you called them their first name, you always had to say aunt or uncle before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar here. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, um, that, that's, I, I, um, see, and I get that some people, part of their attraction to the martial arts is they want to immerse themselves in another culture. So yeah. I, I get that people want to enter the dojo doors and they're in Japan for the next 90 minutes. So for, for those that sure. want that, then great find a place that does it but but for, for us it, it was a distraction to what exactly. we were trying to achieve yeah exactly. so we, we teach it in a um, a western way and a lot of these you know these traditional things just like you were saying they're like the, the geese and the belts that, that they, they 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 we stole them from judo right Ju, Ju, yeah right. judo was doing it the karate guys went that'll work we'll we'll, we'll steal those yep. so so um and, and nowadays I, I tend to teach with a gi on because they, you know it's kind of expected, um, but I, I very rarely train with one on. My, right. my, my instructors very rarely train with one on as well. Certain things it's handy to have. Certain you know, certain grappling and throwing, it's nice to have the material to to sure. do it on. But 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 sure. um, if it's not needed, um, even all that goes. I've kept the terminology because I think that's that's useful, mm-hmm. um, particularly as someone who travels a lot to teach. See, I can be in the middle of Germany, not speaking a word of German, but we share the common karate terminology, so yeah. so th- that can be useful. So, um, yeah, but so 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 stuff like that. If it's got a a um, empirical use, I'll I'll keep it. But a lot of those cultural trappings I drop, and I always like for me when I go at the dojo. Sometimes, I'm, is this a dojo or a restaurant? I'm not quite sure. You know, with, oh with all the, with the like the, <laughs> you know, the, the the little gates as you walk in and the, the hanging lanterns and the, say, the right. shrines and I'm not yeah okay I'm not quite sure. Yeah. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, bear my sins again, right? <laughs> so uh, I had renamed my school and. Uh, I had I was trying to come up with a name and I was I was working with this newer coach and I wanted to uh kind of brand differently. And so I knew in Chinese culture the plum blossom is very significant. It's uh it's not it's not like America where any flower is considered feminine and you're you're uh excoriated if you're a male and you like flowers or you use a flower as a symbol, right? So uh, it's very different in Asian cultures. The, the, the plum blossom is a, a, a very powerful symbol of overcoming hardship, yeah. of perseverance. And I thought that was really cool. It's like the phoenix. Yeah. And um, 
So I wanted to use that in the name of my school. So I, I, I named my school that for a while, uh, Plum Blossom Traditional Kung Fu Academy, and uh, had a, a guy make this really nice sign and came up with a cool symbol. And, and then when I moved into this new plaza and I built my school out and I was working with the coach I told you about that was heavy into the, the atmosphere mm -hmm. and the, the cultural trappings, so we decorated the, the school to look like a Chinese uh, training hall. And mm. we had uh, looked beautiful. We had mm. statues and uh, plants. And it, it was uh, very the presentation, which I was big on. It was like, all right, I'm big on the, you know, a clean, at least a clean place to train. I hate dirty schools. <laughs> I can't, nothing drives me crazier than when I go into a school and and there's crap all over the mats of, of detritus and human <laughs> hair. And it's like, oh, um, so <laughs> it smells of B.O. Um, not my favorite. So I was big on the it looking good. And one day I'm running class and a guy gets out of his car and he comes up and he's got this pamphlet in his hand and he comes in the door and he stops and he looks around and like he saw a ghost and he can't figure out what the hell he just walked into and i look and he he's got a flyer a pamphlet for a chinese restaurant <laughs> it's a menu and he was coming in to place an order <laughs> i was like uh no wrong place uh, <laughs> Happy to dish out punches, kicks, and throws <laughs> here, but not fried rice. <laughs> uh, but it shows you, like, that's the perception that he had seeing the sign. Yeah, he didn't yeah. read the, the, the subtext that said traditional Kung Fu Academy or anything. Yeah. Um, he saw the emblem and the, the plum blossom and thought it was a Chinese food place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it... And it wasn't until a few years later, I was, um, one of my hobbies is hang gliding and I was riding in the car with some other pilots and they had gotten to know me a little while and they started ribbing me about the name of my school. And I was, I was like, I wasn't upset of being made fun of. I was upset that I had known them for years and nobody had ever said anything to me about the perception <laughs> to everybody else. Like, I knew the history and I knew the background of the symbolism, but Americans don't. Yeah, yeah They're like, yeah. what kind of a school are you running? A <laughs> dance school? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that was a big flub on my part. Yeah, big there's def there are definitely those things that don't quite translate properly, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and then you, you don't know. The, the one that really, really struck me was, um, so the bowing, when I was saying, I just decided I'm not going to do this anymore. What that, that was, right. was, the guy uh, that I was training with uh, was a, recently like that. It was a Japanese master called Yamada, and, and I'm in Yamada's uh, dojo, and everyone else is gone, and there's just me and him. And he doesn't he speaks a few words of English. I don't speak any Japanese, and um, so I, I um, we managed to have a little uh, conversation. I bought his book, and I recognised some of what he wrote in it, so I said it in English, and he nodded, and and then um, I, I did my best to bow, and then I went to shake his hand just through force of habit. And when I put my hand out towards him, there was that look of, oh, you know what I mean? How do I do right. this? You know, and then he's shaking the hand and, and he's kind of, you know, it, it, it's fine. 
And then later on, I was thinking, do you know what? It, it, it is every bit as complicated as the bow. But because I'm immersed in that culture, I don't realize that. So um, if I was to meet someone who was a friend, I might pull them in for a hug after I've done the, the handshake. Right. Uh, um, but I wouldn't do that if it was a business meeting. Right. You know, and, and if you hold your hand in, in a very weak grip, then that's in, uh, not masculine. But if you right. hold for too long or try and pull them in or grip too hard, that's aggressive and dominating. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all these little cultural things that, as Westerners, we understand about that. And I thought, I don't understand the bowing to the same depth. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so th that's why when I, I'm, I'm better going with something that's culturally relevant. The other one was as well, we were at the, on that same trip, we were at, um, uh, um, Yamada was being honoured by one of the universities and we were there uh, as guests. And uh, a guy came up with some beer and the guy next to me who spoke Japanese uh, said, um, he's, you know, he, he went to pour some beer in my glass. Said, oh, no, 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 thank you. And then he nudged me and said, accept it, you know, but really bad manners to do what I'd just done, you see. So oh. I went, okay, you know, so, so he paused a little bit in my glass and that was it. He said, no, you never say no. You just accept it. I thought, that's really weird. And then uh, when I get back from Japan two weeks, three weeks later, I'm at my dad's and my kids are there and stuff. And we, my dad's ordered pizza for everybody. And then my dad points to the last piece and goes, uh, does anybody want this? And I thought, he's not really saying, does anyone want this? He's saying, I'm about to eat this, but I think it's, I think it's polite to, 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 to offer it to everyone else before I do. So if he'd gone, does anybody want this? And I'd gone, yes, I'll have it and take it away from him. That's a, a major cultural faux pas. But if you weren't from you know, this part of the world, you wouldn't realize that. Right. So, so, so you know, it was that the, the realization that Japan seems weird to me Purely yes. because I'm not, I haven't been raised in that culture. I'm trying to learn it academically, but right. having been immersed in Western culture from the day I'm a yeah. birth, I, I get that. So from the martial arts, I, I would rather that the shows of um, uh, respect and care for one another and that camaraderie in the dojo, I would rather use culturally appropriate ways to express it because I feel that's likely to be more genuine. You know what I mean? So um, um, then, then maybe doing a motion that the student doesn't comprehend or understand. Yeah, it's funny. Like this, um, let me move my mic. This right here, or you, sometimes you see it like this, but this comes from a rebellion, mm. uh, a change in dynasty in China. And yet we use it to, to bow in or greet in Chinese martial arts in America now. I mean, even I still question myself on using that um, that as a, a way to a salutation, if mm -hmm. you will. Um, I like it now uh, after COVID because it's a way of greeting each other as martial <laughs> artists without shaking hands. Uh, but yeah, it's it's why are we adopting something that was uh, a sign of revolution in uh, a, a country on the other side of the world hundreds of years ago? Yeah, well, the similar one is, um, you know, the, the karate guys with their us, you know what I mean? So they use that, that universal word for everything, us, us, us. Yeah. But um, and, and it was a, uh, a guy who's lived in Japan, fluent Japanese speaker, has a Japanese wife, has run businesses in Japan, isn't a Japanese citizen, you know, kind of renews that every so often. And right. we were talking about this, this us thing. And he said, uh, he says, no, he says, don't, don't. He says, it, 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 he said, it, it, it's, it's a sign of submitting. 
He says, you know, and the over overdoing it, he says, is not good. It's not respectful to you or the person that's on the other end okay. of it, you say, you know, and but whereas whereas in the West, it's just became it's a universal word. It means yes, I understand. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, I acknowledge what you said. It in Brazilian jiu-jitsu circles a lot the last few years. Yeah, I heard about that. That was what one of we, we, we chatted before we started recording this, um, because we've both been on Stefan Kesting's podcast. But yeah. we, and he did a really interesting YouTube video about um, traditional things that have found their way into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you see. And, and, I, right. and it was really, because from a traditional martial artist, I was like, I agree with pretty much all of this. You know, the, the, yeah. the same things. Some of them uh, get the label traditional, but maybe aren't. But, you know, that, that excessive pussing yeah. was one. I thought, oh, well, well, that's it's, interesting to find. It's, it's funny, way to I was writing my, my notes to of questions I wanted to ask you today, and I started to write traditional martial art and one of the questions i'm going to ask you and i was like that's not really what i'm trying to ask or say it should be asian martial arts because i was trying to quantify things that you and i had both done in the question i was framing and the uh in similarity just from the region of the world that they come from but what is really tradition i mean western boxing now is tradition or greco-roman wrestling could be called tradition mm. um but oftentimes, I think a, a miscommunication or mislabeling that we use now is traditional martial arts defines anything that's from uh, karate or, or China, Ch Japan. Uh, they're just traditional martial arts. Like, mm. why? They're, yeah. That, it's strange. Not... But judo is one that, you, by the same category, would, but tends not to fall into that category to the mm. same degree as well. As a re See, I always think that then the next question you've got is, well, who's tradition? Right. What, what, tra what tradition? So right. um, are you talking about what they did from the 1950s onwards or what they did 100 years before that or what they've done yeah. for the last 20 years? Because yeah. within the karate circles, the, 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 the one constant has been change. Yeah. So I, I would argue when people go, I'm keeping this the same because it's traditional, I would say, well, that's not traditional. You know, paradoxically, is like Funakoshi, you know, the father of modern karate, says uh, the, the world changes, times change, and martial arts must change too. Right. And, and, and Chibana likened karate to a pond. He said, if it's not getting fresh streams going into it, everything in it will become stagnant and die. You know, so yeah. they were all of a view. And we have this, uh, again, I don't, don't know if there'd be a Chinese equivalent, but we have this idea of um, uh, Shu Hari, which is three little characters and Shu Ha and Ri. And it, it means to copy, to diverge and to transcend. And it's mm -hmm. supposed to be the learning process. So initially That's you walk into a dojo, you don't know anything. So you have right. to copy what the teacher shows you because yep. you then you've not. And then at a certain point where you go, well, I'm going to make this my own. I'm going to start diverging yeah. a little bit because my build is different. My likes are different. Uh, and then eventually what you're doing is your own. It, it, it has its roots right. in what your teacher showed you, but it's distinct. So you've transcended. So I, I always just, talk... just said that same conversation to my students yesterday. When we were <laughs> in class. I said the exact, I didn't have those three characters. Yeah. I, I like those. But I, I had the exact same conversation with them yesterday. That's so there funny you brought that up. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so, yeah. copy, diverge, trans. And, and, and my thing is that a lot of them that deem themselves traditional are locked into that first one. So they go copy, yeah. copy, 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 copy. Well, I go, well that's not traditional. You know, and then they also, you know, you were saying about the, the guy who, when you've got my laundry for, you know, six years, I'll then start teaching yeah. you. So, so um, to, to limit that, you'll get people who will go, yeah, but you do each one for 20 years. You copy for 20 years, you diverge. But I, I thought that, that's not how it works for me. There are things that are uniquely mine. 
there are things that I'm still copying. There's still things that I'm making my own. Depending right. on what you're talking about, I'm doing every element of that process. You know, yeah. if someone shows me a technique a week ago, I'm not, you know, the transcending, I'm still very much in the, the copying phase. So I, I, I want yeah. that to be at the heart of what I do. I don't want my students' karate to be the right. same as mine. If, if that's the case, no, I, I, don't failed. I failed as an instructor if that's what happened. We have, that, we have that in common. And that's not something that I always got the luxury of being um, encouraged from, the, from my teachers or coaches. Um, but I think that the copy, the copy, copy, copy is extremely important um, until you can start to develop your own skills but we we can never like even if i had bad experiences any of us have bad ex experiences they're all part of who we are mm -hmm. and we can never take full credit uh i could never say that i invented mantis boxing and i only do stuff that i invented that's crazy mm -hmm. i'm a byproduct of every single coach and teacher that i worked with and may not do ex do things exactly the way that they do it some stuff i do and other things I don't. And mm. I'm happy to give credit for what I did. Uh, but we can't just say that we're, we're some independent anomaly. Like we're, we just appeared and, and made everything up ourselves. Yeah, no, That's I agree. Is it um, John of Salisbury's? Um, if I can see so far, it's because I am a dwarf standing on the shoulders of giants. I always quite yes. like that one, you know what I mean? So it's, you, you, right. you're just taking that extra little step in some cases because yeah. of what the prior generations have been kind enough to pass on to you, you know? Uh, absolutely. And you make it your own, but it's not your own, you know? So I have a question that, I, I, that came up. You, you were talking earlier about the kata, and you have, uh, did you say 20, 20 of them? It's 10, we, we ten, do, yeah, yeah. 10, I'm sorry, 10. It was 20 years, you said, that you teach over the 10 kata. So I, a question for you, did, do you ever find that 10, I don't know how long they are. I know in Chinese martial arts that the forms tend to be pretty long. Um, like a lot of them average 30, 30 to 50 moves. Um, so do you ever find that it's, it's still, do you have a tendency in yourself with everything that you've been trying to do um, in the practical side of the house that you were taught, you were speaking to distractions before that having so many kata is a distraction? Did you ever want to pare it down and have less kata? Yeah, well, and I, I, I did. Um, um, I, I, we jettisoned five. So I was originally okay. yeah with 15. So I went, okay, five of them are going. The, the, okay. the, the still, if people want to learn them, I, I still know them and walk through them. But the yeah. way the way but the way I do it is because that's um, Funakoshi, father of modern karate. He said in, he says in his day, he said in my day we studied uh, narrow and deep. Today they study broad and shallow. So I don't want mm -hmm. to be the guy who knows 30 katas but doesn't really do anything with any of them. So I, I right. want that smaller number. Right. So the, the way I envision it is like an arch, uh, archery target. So you've got mm -hmm. the ones in the gold in the middle, for me, would be the Pinan series, which were always supposed to be a set, the five short forms, but they're supposed to work together. So they're really mm -hmm. one. 
And then you've got um, uh, Nahanshi, which is another form. They're our, they're our gold ones. They're the ones we put mm-hmm. the most amount of time and effort into. They're the backbone of what we do. And, and okay. that's the ones the students will do up until their black belt, which typically for us takes about eight years. So, so okay. at, yep. at black belt, they'll know th- yeah. that those six, and they're all fairly So short. happy to hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other ones, um, the, the Pinan series, uh, they – uh, are a modern summation of some of the older ones. So we learn the older ones in order to inform their understanding of the Pinan series, if that makes sense. So they're the next ring out on the target and we kind of move out in that way. So by the mm. time they hit fourth Dan, um, that's when they will know all the forms we do. And typically that's a 20-year process. Okay. But, 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 but very much there's those core six, five of which okay. are supposed to be used together as a group which are the, 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 the backbone to everything that we do. And the others are there to inform our understanding of that backbone. Interesting. And yeah. did you ever want to add to any of them yourself? The, the you only, no, the, on, the only thing we've done on that front is um, uh, I'm keen to avoid that style snobbery thing where, where I want my students to realize that there's a lot of good stuff out there. So we have a requirement for fourth down that they have to learn a kata from another karate system and demonstrate full applications from it from beginning to end. Oh. So, 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 so they've got one extra that they've got to go out and learn. And without exception, we've only had three people reach that level, but all three of them, whenever I said, right, go learn a kata from another system, it's, oh, no. Do I have to? You know, do we not know enough? Why do I have to do this? But without exception, once they've done it and they've, they've always re- oh, I'm so glad you made me do that. Uh, yeah. Because it enables them to, um, it's not really the looking out thing. It just gives them another perspective on what we already do. So, and, and, yeah. And, yeah, so th- th- that's all it is, just to make them realize the principles are common, even if the styles are on the surface a little bit different. Yeah. It's It's good to experience other things, even if you're not going to, necessarily follow through that for a long period of time or you're not going to become good at it just to see well what else is out there especially as a martial artist because we're if we're only ever battling the people in our own pocket in our own school they're doing all the same stuff even if there's variations uh they're not going to throw something that you haven't seen before after you've been there a while you've seen it all i mean you see Mm -hmm. it in uh uh, to go back to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu thing because it's it's still very uh, very much active in far of a arena of of being tested on a global scale mm. where people go out and they they're competing and doing tournaments um, combative tournaments so within their own uh, training halls their own schools their own gyms there's a series of techniques that are taught and learned by the instructor and this um, this speaks to, I mean, I went through this as well. Early on when I was teaching BJJ, I taught everything that I could, came across. It's like, well, there's these submissions and there's these sweeps. and Because I didn't have a game. I didn't have uh, my own art. And then as I got further in and, and evolved, I stopped teaching a lot of stuff. Anything that I don't use, I don't teach it. And mm-hmm. I recommend that if somebody wants to learn it, Let's say, uh, oh, I want to, I want to do X guard. Um, okay, well, I'll tell you the people that I know that are really good at X guard, and you can go, you can go learn that from them because that's their specialty. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn De La Riva guard and Spider guard and Leg Lasso guard, I will show you everything as deep as I can go, mm-hmm. and uh, t- 
till the sun comes down. But uh, so narrowing that field um, allows us to go deeper and to share more. But you see uh, when you get to the competitive arena, people are faced like if you only ever train in your school and you never train with people from other schools and then you go compete, you're going to find out that there's a bigger world out there. Yeah, yeah. And there are things that you have never encountered, even within the same martial art, never mind different modalities. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow. Oh, that's cool. I've never seen that before. What'd they just do to me? Oh, I'm choking (laughs) out. Oh, crap. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's great. It's it's great that you do that. I have um, uh, a family uh, member who's also a karate instructor, and he has it as a requirement for first dan. They have to go and study something else for six months. Nice. You know, so it's, yeah, it's a really, you know, so you know, some of them go and do some judo, BJJ, some of them go box, some of them go do another style of karate, but no, it's a requirement. You know, you have to go out, you have to learn it, you have to come, kind of come back. And, and he does that because he says, for two reasons. One is it's good for their development. The second thing he says, it's good for the group. Because invariably yeah. they, they bring back something that, hey, you know, these a new way of doing this or here's something I haven't seen before. So it's, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a great requirement. And it stops that, as you say, that, that thing of getting locked into you. Well, that's why I say a martial artist first and a karateka second is what I always say. You know, what so does it doesn't that matter. mean, uh, karateka? It's just uh, someone who does karate. So if you do oh, okay. judo, so you're a judoka. Yeah, jujitsu, okay. jujitsuka. Yeah, so it's just can in the end means someone who does. So, so for, but for me, it's um, if someone showed me something from any system, if if I like it, it's common with the objectives. It's it's becoming part of my karate. Yeah. So a friend here. of mine from Germany, Christian Wiedewart, is a really good karate instructor, and he told me that uh, his instructor told him that he says, "Take what works and call it karate." That that's that's what it is, you know. So, but yeah, I like I that. Absolutely <laughs> agree with that. Yes, it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, looking at other martial arts helped me unlock a lot of the applications in my own style. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's like you, I think you even said earlier, and I agree that there's only so many ways to, to throw another human being, to lock their joints, to punch them, to kick them. So there's commonalities and the, the likelihood, this, this is something that I don't know if you've come across this in the Japanese arts, Uh, this, this will set me off. (laughs) And when I hear this and encounter this. I, I I really lose all respect for somebody when they're saying <laughs> I, I, I'll be completely honest with that. Yeah. Um, in the Chinese martial arts, sometimes you get you encounter this fantasy is the best way to put it. And I'll use mantis boxing. Yeah. so I'll, I'll keep it there. Let's say that I do mantis boxing and I've never fought with it. I've never learned any application. And then I developed this belief structure in my head that it's different from any other martial art that's ever existed in the world in the history of humankind. I don't know how it works, <laughs> but I know that it's not that Brazilian jiu-jitsu crap that I see you doing over there, uh. right? And it's that, that's, that mentality is so backwards. It's like how... Humans are, we're bipeds, we have uh, two arms, we have two legs, a head. There are only so many solutions. It doesn't mean that, and I think that this is, this is something I try to impress upon my students. It's like, 
Fighting is chaos. The study of martial arts is organizing chaos. Love it. <laughs> and all we do in our journey in martial arts is organize something that we have no control over so that we learn enough of the possibilities of what can happen that we can kind of come up with the most likely solution and we can realize that, okay, if I put my hand here, I know that they can do this, 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 and this. I don't know which one they're going to pick. So it's mm. still chaos. It's still yeah. random. But I know that I got those four things covered. Yeah. So I'm good. I can, I can put my hand here. And that organization of chaos, that process, is not unique to any martial art. And it's not... you. Sure, you can go when you... When you specify a modality, when you say, I'm only going to do wrestling, well, there's no striking, there's no kicking, um, there's no chokes, and there's no being on your back. Being on your back is bad. Okay. But then you go to BJJ, it's like being on our back is like, whoa, all right, <laughs> yeah. king of the hot pile now, and I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah. I can this, 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 and this. Um, but outside of being trapped into a modality where they don't allow, and I would say more of a sport mm. where they don't allow for other things. If you have a cross pollination, a crossover, a comparison of, okay, well there's a punch in boxing and there's a punch in karate and there's a punch in uh, Chinese boxing. Well, there's only so many punches and only so many ways to punches. So there's going to be similarities mm. in it. Drives, it just infuriates me when I see an argument that somehow a mysterious martial art that you can't explain, but you know that it doesn't, that uh, that's not it. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would agree. And I, 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 I share your um, exasperation at, at those who, um, <laughs> uh, who take that view. I, I, I always make the joke. It's like, because. Uh, People have been fighting since Tribe A bumped into Tribe B, right? You know, so there's 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 new things that are developed within you say within those modalities, as you put it, you know. But but in terms of like the you know, the, the locking is not new, choking is not new, punching, kicking, none of it's new, um, and. <laughs> it's not like you say, you know, the, the first tribe bumps in. We've worked out if you make your hand into a fist and bounce it in people's skulls, it hurts. Or right, we've worked out right. this bends. Do you want to trade? You know, yeah. It, it's it's you know, it, it's just it's just not the way it works. And the, the the other problem we have though is because because you'll now get so all systems start off being fairly holistic by necessity that they, yes. they all need you know so and then but over time, so if we use boxing as the example. So uh, if you look at the old boxing manuals, they had uh, weapons, throws, yep. um, basic ground fighting even, you know what I mean? And so no uh, kicking. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, this, this, is a, this is an interesting story. So the first, um, the first ever champion of England was a guy called James Figg, uh, who wow. fought a gentleman called uh, Ned Sutton. And that fight was uh, recorded by the Times newspaper. Um, the prime minister of the day was there to watch this fight. It was a big deal, right? So for the championship of England, uh, the first rounds were with, with swords, first one to draw blood. Uh, Fig accidentally cut himself, but that didn't count. But then he eventually cut Sutton and won. Uh, on the second round was with sticks. 
um, uh, Fig won that one again by hitting him in the knee. They then stopped for half an hour, had some beers, and then the fist fighting began, which is what everyone really cared about, right? This is friggin' awesome. Yeah, yeah, this is Bob. Bo- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is all I've boxing. Never heard so, this before. No, this so it, 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 all boxing. So a Fig, um, so Sutton threw Fig. Um, so again, throw threw him over his hip, uh, and as he landed on the ground, he dropped his knee into his chest. So um, it took him, uh, I think, about 30 minutes to recover. But so long as you could fight on, that was fine. So eventually he fights on. And, and then the re- newspaper report said that uh, Fig then threw something to the ground and pinned him on the floor until he submitted. So this is the first ever boxing champion of boxing of England. It's one with a sword cut, a blow from a stick, a throw, and a, a ground fighting submission. <laughs> <laughs> and this is I'm boxing. stealing that story. That's awesome. <laughs> that was also the uh, coincidentally the last name of my grandfather is Sutton. So oh well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, yeah, he was. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, fig figs the. Actually, I don't know if you can see um, very well, but if you can see that picture right there, that's um, a photograph one of my students did of my grandfather's boxing gloves. Oh wow! <laughs> the nineteen. 19- 30s in the u.s he was a golden glove boxer and i still have some of his original gloves but i didn't want that they deteriorating yeah yeah, yeah. so i asked him to take a picture to uh preserve them oh that's so cool yeah Yeah, yeah. it's uh that's cool it might be be a family connection there (laughs) yeah i'm gonna look i'm gonna see So, so that is it's an awesome story. Yeah, it is. I'm going to tell that because that, that was about the same time period that um, it was just before karate went underwent its modernization. So I always compare boxing with karate as having done very similar things. So, um, so then, um, of course, as we now know, boxing are the premier punches. I think it'd be fair to say that no one punches as well as boxers, but it's all they do. They, they don't they don't throw they don't kick they don't use the weapons anymore there's no groundwork in boxing anymore um so so what happens is you have this holistic art that narrows its focus and but the benefit of narrowing its focus it gets much better at what it does and therefore boxing becomes associated with that skill so so now if, if i throw a punch um, and my heels up and i've got a guard up i have had people go but that's boxing so right. no i was taught that punch in my very first karate class 30 plus years ago you know, if, if I do a throw, especially when I've got a gi on, people will go, oh, well, that's judo. Right. Well, no, no, that throw is found in judo, but yeah. it's also found in, in karate too. So you get this thing of where you get this ownership of methods. Yeah, and oh. I think it is fair to say certain arts excel in certain methods. Taekwondo are the premier your kickers. Brazilian jiu-jitsu are definitely the best ground fighters. You can yeah. argue about who's the best throwers, judo or wrestlers. You know, you know there's, there's definitely those, those specialities. But, but nothing's new. You know, just every no, art. I, I have that same thing happen on a lot of videos I've done of uh, applications in Mantis boxing. And they're not unique to Mantis. They, Chinese boxing styles have commonalities with movements. And there'll be a throw or something. And then somebody will leave a comment invariably underneath and just say, either they'll... <laughs> Either they'll say that's this from judo, yeah. or they go so far as to say that's not mantis, that's this style. And then yeah. I have to go through and find video footage of <laughs> uh, it being used. What I, my favorite is um, one guy said something about what I was teaching wasn't mantis; it was from uh, I think wrestling or something like that. I don't know what he I don't know the style he said, but I actually had a video of. 
people doing Mongolian wrestling. I don't know if you ever watched videos of this, but uh, it's it's awesome. They still do it till today, and a lot of the northern Chinese boxing arts have heavily influenced from uh, the folk wrestling uh, called Bok mm. that was in the north. And uh, so they still practice this today. And I had the exact throw from <laughs> Mongolian wrestling, and I was like, hmm, that was on the other side of the world developed thousands of years before Greco-Roman wrestling. So yeah. who started what? Um, <laughs> it's, it's just funny. We get caught in these, uh, these arguments and I don't mean to be um, pedantic, but sometimes people are so rude that you just, it's like, no, look here, present the facts. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stop being so myopic or short sighted. It's like, there's too many commonalities. No, up and uh, up, absolutely. And, and then you'll even get people theorizing, well, how did that judo throw find its way into karate? Or, you know, and they invented it independently. And which culture didn't invent the bow and arrow? They all did. Yeah. yeah every, everyone worked out that's a good way to fire a projectile over a long distance. It's not like the Steve Jobs of his day invented the bow and arrow and then went on a world tour to sell it to right. everybody. You know, right. they all, so you get the same thing. I mean, in my part of the world, we have Cumberland and West Moorland wrestling our own native wrestling, which my father practiced. It was arguably the first thing I was ever taught was my father taught me the basics of the wrestling that he'd been taught as a, as a kid. And, and whether this is true or not, I don't know. It's probably another myth. But the argument is it was bought here by the Vikings. There was a lot of Viking settlers in this part of the world. Yeah. I don't think that's true, but it's a cool story. But if we just run with it. So the first, thro <laughs> first throw my dad told, uh, throw, showed me was um, a hip throw, you know, basically just yeah. taking them over the hip. So you'll find that hip throw in Japan too. So I would always argue, well, which samurai traveled all the way up to teach it to the Vikings? Which time traveling samurai did that? Or which Viking lived to be 800 years old to visit Japan and teach it to them? Well, none, just independently, they all discovered right. the same thing. But, but saying about that YouTube comment reminded me of a story. I um, There's a video online where I show some basic karate gripping, very, very basic. Yes. And this guy wrote to me saying, um, I'm happy with everything that you're showing there, but that's not karate. It's purely wrestling. And you need to be honest yes. about what it is you're showing. Yes. So I went, no, 100%. Everything in there is found in wrestling. And wrestlers will do it at a way higher level than any karate ever will. But you will find that stuff within karate too in a fundamental way. And right. he wrote, but no, you're just trying to make money from people. You're just being dishonest. So in the end, I thought, I'm just going to find a picture. So I went to my desk. I got a picture of Funakoshi using the same grip for a throw uh, from a 1920s book. <laughs> so I took a photograph of it with my phone and emailed it. I said, look, these Funakoshi from the 1920s using that grip for that throw. And he just wrote back, right. fair, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I'll take that as a win. <laughs> At least you got a response. I didn't get a. I didn't get a thank you or or even an acknowledgement off yeah. of mine. But but I've had that. You know, like I've had. Uh, no, that's that's um, that's Kali. That's Wing Chun. That's Judo. That's boxing. That's you know. And and it's like, uh, yes, it's all of those things. But it's also right karate too. You know. Um, yeah, and it's it's funny because years ago. There was, before I had done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there was a guy that was on this uh, Mantis forum <clears throat> where the people from all over the world could communicate and uh, that did Mantis boxing. And he was taking up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was saying, so in, in Mantis, there's often, and I don't think this was uh, 
long in the history of Mantis. I think it's really within the last probably 100 years at best, maybe 120. Um, but we have these 12 keywords. And the first keyword is hook, and then it's um, clinch and pluck. And they vary from teacher to teacher. Mm. The first few are usually the same, but kind of like the, the the precepts that you talked about earlier mm. with karate, um, the ones that you had translated. Mm. And uh, so these keywords get passed down, and he was making a statement how a lot of the 12 keywords, uh, um, or some of them, apply in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he was uh, raked over the coals for those comments. And even I didn't believe it, but I didn't have any experience in Brazilian jiu-jitsu to say one way or the other. I was really just copying the coach that I was working with at the time that shook his head and was like, no, that's not true. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things that made my Mantis better was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and I learned more about Mantis than... I had ever learned or about grappling period, whether it's on the ground or standing up, I learned more about grappling than I ever would have just staying in the mantis bubble or the stand up mm. bubble. And, and now I would tell you almost every single keyword applies on the ground in BJJ <laughs> as much as it does standing up in mantis boxing. It's like, yeah. They, yeah. they just work, especially mm. when you get into nogi uh, jujitsu. Yeah, it's fascinating. As I say, there's only so many ways in which people can do things. There's differences that matter as well, of course. I always think this is the other um, trap I think that people can fall into. So, um, so for example, right, if it, it is, uh, I'll show... Um, a throw that existed in, in karate. And then, so you'll get the karateka who will then dismiss judo as something that their art already covers, you know? So they'll go, Oh yeah, we do throws. So therefore judo has nothing to show us. You know, they, they run to the other extreme, yeah. you know? And, and I always think it's reminding people of, uh, um, the level to which they do things I think is, is important as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we're like, for example, you know, karate has kicks in it, but they're not as like taekwondo's kicks. And it, it, it has fundamental grappling in it, but it doesn't make you a wrestler. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's always been been, been uh, knowledgeable um, of the level. And, and then the lovely thing as well, um, just running with that thought about the fact that my karate has been a more holistic thing is I can have conversations with practitioners of other systems, and and exactly. I, I have enough to get us started. It's that not been a beginner in anything thing. Right. You know, so, so yeah, I, I, I can, I can talk to a wrestler and I've, I've got an, I can talk the, the basic language of a wrestler, which will enable me to then take the things from wrestling back into the system as I, right. I've got things to hook it onto as well. So there's a lot of value in cross training. Well, I think, and I wanted to add on to something that you asked me about, um, teaching Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Mantis separately and. Uh, I was explaining something and I, a part that I left out and that, or at least that I'd like to highlight is uh, one of my re the reluctancy to change the way that I teach BJJ and kind of blend it and, and have it uh, more in line when I do that class with, with Mantis is exactly what you're saying is when you isolate jujitsu on the ground and you take away the striking, you take away the elbows, the knees, the kicking, you take it to a level that you will never hit when you add that stuff back in. 100%, yeah. 
And so, yeah, is it, is it remiss? But like, if I were not teaching that at all in any of my classes, then I would be remiss. I would be at fault. I would be oh, negligent. <laughs> so <laughs> later out. Yeah, I had a feeling that was going to happen. Yeah, I'm still here, everybody. Um, <laughs> he's he's gone to ninjutsu. He just changed styles. <laughs> Brace yourself, everyone. Um, but that's that's my reluctance to uh, to get away from it altogether because um, there's a benefit to to allowing people to work into that framework and that bubble, because especially being smaller, I see the value of, um, I like to put it this way with, with, especially with BJJ, but it, it applies for stand up as well. And, um, you can get to a, like a, an intermediate proficiency and mm. you can probably at an intermediate proficiency handle yourself in BJJ. It's a blue belt. Uh, you could handle yourself in 95 to 98% of any altercation you would get into with an untrained individual, mm. unless they're a lot bigger and stronger than you. Mm. And then the holdback of being only an intermediate is that you can't flow from one thing to another when something fails. Mm. And that's the advanced practitioner is the ability to adapt, the ability to say, oh, my arm bar didn't work or, oh, my mount escape didn't work when somebody was sitting on top of me. So now what do I do? Um, and it's being able to, to have a, a technique fail and to connect to a new technique and adapt to a new pathway to achieve success. And the only way you get that with jujitsu is by isolating because mm. the minute you say, okay, if somebody's on top of you, cause from a self-defense perspective, it's pretty easy. If I like one, I don't know how much you know about jujitsu, but, um, assuming just assuming it may be incorrectly on my own. If you knew nothing, if somebody's sitting on your chest, you have a move that's a trap and roll, you trap the arm, mm -hmm. you bridge up and you, you roll them over. Uh, that's wonderful. Except when they weigh 300 pounds, <laughs> and they don't want to move or uh maybe they're in your same weight class but they are a uh, black belt and you're a blue belt and they know exactly every move that you're going to do and why you're going to do it and they just shut it down so the easy uh solution would be from a self-defense perspective is to say uh just gouge them in the eyes and then they'll release their weight which is really what you need and then you can effectively roll them off of you with the same mechanic but you have to do something before that to get them to, to kind of release their base. Mm. That would be easy. But what if you can't strike? What if your hands are broken? What if, you know, there's, there's too many what ifs in self-defense that that isolation is so beneficial at times to say, no, you're not allowed to hit them and you have your mount escapes going to fail. So now what are you going to do? Yeah. Oh, and now it forces you to use another type of mount escape, like what we call elbow escape or hip escape. And you learn that adaptation and that instead of just relying on a, something else that may not be there. I don't know. It's just, I don't know if you, you agree with that or. No, no, that, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I definitely agree with this idea of that once you, um, you isolate the skill, you definitely get to a far higher level in that skill. And yeah. we, we try and do that in our um, in our sparring. We regularly do it. 
So we'll have sparring where you may only grapple now. You may only strike now. One of you may strike, one of you may not. So you, you take away their, um, what may be the student's preferred way of doing things. Right. And you force them to develop the, the, the other skills to the, the degree that they can, you see. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's really awesome. important to do that. And it, it takes us back to what saying, this over-reliance sometimes where um, uh, even beyond that, where people think that, that like the dirt, as I call it, you know, the biting and the poking, that that's a substitute for skill. Well, it just is not. You know what I mean? It, it, it can help, but it's not a substitute for the skill. So you need to take that stuff out. I call this the rules paradox. Right. So if you look at like um, uh, like a lot of traditional jujitsu will do throws in such a way the guy lands on his neck. Yeah. And, and then you go, well, do you practice that throw? They go, oh, no, because the guy would land on his neck. Right. Right. OK. So meanwhile, in the judo club, they've adapted their throw. So the guy survives when he gets, you know, he, he lands on his back and he's OK. Yeah. Um, but I have no doubt who's going to be the better thrower. It will be the guy who was a practice, the allegedly ineffective throw will be a far more effective thrower than the guy who's kept his throw deadly but right. has never practiced it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for let's take out some things as well because it forces you to develop a higher level of, um, uh, of, of skill by making yeah. things safer. So you take out the biting, the gouging, sometimes the striking, sometimes the gripping, depending on what objective. You, you take out those various things. And it forces people then to develop to a um, you know a higher level of of, of skill because they can practice in a live way that's safe. Right, right, and boy, that's cool. I I like uh, I don't know you you have a very similar uh, way of looking at this as I do, and it's it's um, it's interesting to talk to you because it's we got two different martial arts, but we came to the same conclusions on a lot of stuff, and even the training methods. Um, yeah, I had a feeling I was going to enjoy this conversation, um, but I, 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 I've enjoyed it even more than I thought I would. It's always <laughs> nice to meet a kindred spirit, Randy. That's what it is. Yes. It may, I'm not alone in the world. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. That's nice, right? It's, uh, it can be too much of a good thing if we, if we refuse to then look at anybody else's opinion. But, uh, <laughs> it's nice. Nice but but I, think, I think that's the thing for me, is which is why I think, like, I know for my um, audience, um, why they'll enjoy watching this and listening to it is um, it, it's a it's a it's it's really interesting to um, to see those shared experiences and ideas, mm. whether developed independently, you know. Yes. So so we we haven't. It's not. This isn't like you know. Like so, I have friends that I've trained with, and we come to very similar conclusions. But right. you do a different art. You live in a different part of the world. Your art comes from a different part of the world. And yet we've had remarkably similar ex experiences and have addressed right. them in similar ways. So it, it kind of validates that experience a little bit, I think, which, which I, I think that people find that yeah. interesting. And I th it validates the whole idea that we were talking about a minute ago of how s different martial arts from totally different places can develop the same end result. It only <laughs> validates that further. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that there's a lot of parallels there that I think people will enjoy. Definitely. And it gives a level of depth that you, you wouldn't get if if you were another karate practitioner. Because people no. will go, yeah, well, I've heard this story before, and it's a common story. 
which is why, um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm so glad that we agreed to do this. Now, yeah. just before we do come, I just want to make people know that yeah. I thought we were doing it audio. <laughs> and, and you thought we were doing it. So this is, I, I am normally, like, I'm not the most organized guy in the world. But as I sit here in the complete darkness, <laughs> in a room with no light, having used my phone for light for half an hour, <laughs> it's going to yes. thought be okay. Yeah, so um, it's, it's because my dog's downstairs, you see, and he can bark so he is nice and quiet the unfortunate oh, yeah. is i know mine's i've really enjoyed it what kind of dog do you have oh just a little puppy on little tiny dog i got it when my kids were young so yeah i always say to people if you um the original gremlins movie the, the magui thing yeah if you imagine, yep. imagine if that bred with a dog that's what it looks like <laughs> oh that's cool yeah that's massive cool. figures yeah. really really cute yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. Old nice. though, 14, 15 years old now. So he, he oh, wow. barks at everything because, you know, because. Yeah. Uh, so it's not ideal for recording podcasts too, but he's nice and quiet downstairs. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm normally slight, marginally more organized than this. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. It's, it's my fault. I surprised you on that. We were. Uh... We were uh, on different pages on how we were going to do the format. Yeah, well, I should, I should, I should, yeah, I should have th thought to ask. But this has been um, uh, great. And that's, you yeah. know, two hours, and it doesn't seem like that at all. You know what I mean? No, so, I know. You know. I, know. I, hope, I hope the listeners and viewers have the same shared experience of time passing quickly. That's been, I, been brilliant. I think they will. I think it was a pretty lively conversation, and I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like there was any dead spots in it. So. No, and we caught a lot of ground, too. And it, yeah. it seems like a lot of our, um, we share a lot of the same um, hobby horses and enjoy the same rants too. So, <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah this has been know. great fun. Yes. I, I, I think we'd talk for an hour and then I thought I've got other things. And I, I, I genuinely thought this is a two hours now, but I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. <laughs> so the other things can wait. And if the listeners don't enjoy it, they're tough. I'm enjoying it. They can watch it yeah. in halves. <laughs> the, the only thing that's not wanting to wait is my bladder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you get uh, back to it. But this, is, uh, this has been awesome. I've really, really enjoyed it. So, Thank you very much. I'm so Ian. glad you decided to do this. It's been really good. Okay, Definitely. Randy, I'll enjoy the rest of your, your day and I'll you speak to you soon. Take care, my okay, friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was entertaining. I hope you enjoyed it too, as much as we did. Check out Ian's website at ianabernathy.com. He has multiple books he's written, DVDs. He travels the world teaching seminars. And I'll leave all of his uh, social media links and website down below so that you can easily uh, stay up to date and follow Ian and his activities. Stay hooked. <laughs>